Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. And we've got another packed show for you again this week, as the MLS's back tournament is underway down in Orlando. It's been dramatic, there's been so much stuff happening in the build-up to it, you wondered at one point would it ever get underway, but it did on Wednesday. The COVID Classico kicked things off and it's, it's been patchy games so far Zach there's been a few highlights a lot of lowlights uh, a lot of games with few goals a lot of halves with, with no goals in it I don't know how much yeah. of it you've, you've had the chance to see so far but I mean what, what have you made of everything so far I've actually yeah I've, I've watched a bunch and I've caught uh, caught up on the stuff that I haven't watched live or haven't watched um uh, yeah like i think i was saying to you and steve uh via message via, via our little little chat group there uh it's it's been <laughs> not surprising i guess but the, the quality has been very poor yeah um, it's it it is it is uh you forget what it's like is to like go from watching you know whatever it's been like two months or whatever a month and a half of the bundesliga <laughs> uh you know, every week I watch probably five, like five to seven games a week of the Bundesliga to watching uh, MLS, which again, they have this double thing of having had three to four months off, played yeah. two games and then had three months off or whatever. Yeah. So um, that does not help, especially when their quality is, is not, is not uh, obviously the same. Um, so yeah, the, the football has not been uh, super exciting, but for me, it's been more about, you know, watching some players that either we, you know, we know, kind of well and care about um and just kind of seeing what's up with you know the tournament you know the tournament as a whole but you're right none of this has been an advert for 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 the quality of football the way mls would like it to be yeah i I mean the the heat obviously clearly plays an impact in it as well and i mean saturday night was the first thunderstorm disruption of the actual games there's been a, a lot of thunderstorm disruption so far with with training and various things and I mean it's a question I was wondering before and I posed it to MDS, we touched on it on last week's show, what's going to happen if the games are held up because of thunderstorms well if they're held up and it's a short thunderstorm as we find out on Saturday night they just delay it so that TV can still have their double header 
and what that meant was the Ohio Derby got to kick off at 11.25 Eastern Time. I'm sure all the folk in Ohio were loving that. And, I mean, that in itself is ridiculous. Games should not, in my mind, be kicking off at 11.25 at night, especially since Cincinnati's next game is at 9am. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is being done for TV and TV revenue and sponsor revenue, so it's not it's not surprising. But yeah, it, it won't it won't help uh, it won't help Cincinnati, and obviously, it looks like Cincinnati could use a little bit of help. Yeah, yeah, you can say that again. That was certainly the worst performance of the tournament so far. Talking the thunderstorms, though, I mean, one of the questions I had was, what happens if a game can't finish on its given day? because of the thunderstorms. I mean, we, we didn't find that out tonight. It's like, would they be going until three, four in the morning? Maybe, maybe not. A lot is going to depend as to when it started. And that was a, a question I actually put to Sporting Kansas City, Matt Beasler on a, a conference call during the week. And he actually revealed a lot more than MLS have so far about what's going to happen. Let, let's hear what Matt had to say. You've got two games that are kicking off at 8pm and then you've got the morning match at 9am. As players, how easy is that going to be for you to adjust to that? I know Peter said you're training in the morning, but do you think it'll be quite an easy adjustment? I No, I don't. I don't think it's going to be easy. And that's one of the challenges that we have uh, being down here is the <clears throat> the schedule, It's it's a crapshoot right now because – there's so many different variables going on with, with the testing and the weather. The weather's playing a, a much bigger factor than I thought it would. It's uh, For the people that don't know Florida weather in the summer, it, it, there's a thunderstorm like five, five or six times a day. It's crazy. And uh, that's, that's been really affecting our schedule on a daily basis because everything is slotted out. So each team um, – you know, has their specific schedule and you have to slot teams out. So, you know, you can social distance. And so if one team is postponed or delayed, it affects all the other teams. So for example, this morning we were scheduled, we had the eight o'clock training slot, but there was a thunderstorm that rolled through. And so we, we were delayed and we just, we have to be flexible with that. Um, we have to keep an open mind and, but that's, that's one of the hardest things of being down here because we're so used to a, a schedule and a routine and we don't have that here. And so, you know, there's some days where we train in the morning, some days where we train at night, there's some times where training has been canceled because of the weather. And so we, uh, we just kind of have to, like I said, be flexible and, uh, and be mentally strong. I think that's probably one of the, the best things that we can do. The team that's going to win this thing is, is going to be a team that, that has that mental strength and can adapt. Is there plans in place? I haven't really seen them. If a game is delayed by, by a thunderstorm, like, do you know, is it going to get finished the same day? Would you have to finish it the next day, move to a different pitch? It, yeah, so I, I, uh, Peter and I sat in a meeting a couple of days ago before the tournament started and we were with the competition committee and they went over a lot of the rules for the tournament. 
Um, I, I'd have to double check on exactly what the rules were, but off the top of my head there, well, I know that there's rules in place um, for that, for that scenario. I think I want to say if, if 60 minutes have been played um, and then the game gets delayed or gets canceled, then it will count as a game. Um, if it's under 60 minutes, uh, there's, there's another plan. I'm not exactly sure when it was, but I think that game would have to resume from when it, when it last uh, stopped, if that makes sense. So that was Matt Beasler there. And it's a good time to let you know, really, that I've been on so many conference calls this week. I've really enjoyed it. The access that we're getting during this tournament as media is fantastic. There's many conference calls every day. You've got access to to teams around the league, managers and, and players around the league. So I'm taking advantage of it whilst not being at work and jumping on as many as I can. So we've got a lot of audio to, to bring you tonight as well as our chat. But Matt Beasley there explaining that if a game gets past the 60-minute mark, the result will stand. If it's before the 60-minute mark, the game will have to continue from where it left off the next day. So that's a question that I, I put to MDS later on in this show when we have a chat with him. But for me, Zach, if you know there's thunderstorms in the area, that is a message to teams. You need to go out all guns blazing from the, the get-go and try and get ahead in the first 60 minutes. Yeah, I mean, if you know there's a chance you're going to get called Lent, why wouldn't you go for it, right? Yeah, and I mean, it's you've got to balance it out, though, of course, and the fact that the thunderstorm might not come, and then you've run yourself into the ground, and then for the last half hour, you're absolutely shattered, but you've, you've got your five subs, if, if need be. Yeah, that's one of the one of the ways you could use them, keeping the legs fresh yeah. while, going for, while going for it in the, <laughs> yeah, when the, the clouds are gathering. So there's been a lot happening this week. Anyone that listened to last week's show will know that I had to re-record new bits for it several times because the stuff that Steve and Zach and me chatted about, some of it was out of date right away. Some of it was just such big breaking news that we didn't want to miss out on it. We're going to cover the the Whitecaps and the Canadian team's aspects of all of this in part two. We're going to just focus on the the rest of MLS for a, a little bit in this part. Now, the TV broadcasts, Zach, I brought out an extra podcast during the week, which was a conference call with ESPN and the the head of kind of broadcasting and MLS explaining what they had in store. They mentioned there wasn't going to be any fake crowd noise, although Fox Sports have decided that they do want fake crowd noise for the US when they're showing games and they've put together their their own noise to, to kind of pump into it. But I'm curious what, what you've made of the TV broadcast so far. I've liked it not having the crowd noise because you know me, I like hearing swearing and I mean, that's always fantastic. I am hating the fact that it's ad central, especially that gigantic Adidas ad in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I love Adidas, but um, it, it feels like they've changed the colour or size of it uh, from game to game a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it seems uh, smaller in the Saturday games. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Adidas paid more for those lyrics. I'm not, I'm not sure um, how that works, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's good they're not pumping in uh, the crowd noise. I don't like that. Uh, I would prefer it just to be, you know, raw to what it is. 
but yeah, the ad thing has been different. Has been interesting. It's been interesting. Uh, one of the things that they're doing for this right is they are um, being able to geo, like geo ad people, right? I don't yeah. know the right language. So like we're getting like you know in the middle of these games of teams from wherever we're getting like ads for Dusos and like all these you know local local yeah. Vancouver places that that you know that you know they're not showing these you know at the game in, in texas or or florida or you know california or wherever right yeah um, the, the so uk I, I, the uk broadcasts are not having any ads on the blue screen at the back and they don't have the thing in the center circle either oh okay this i didn't know that um but yeah so i guess they're hopefully being able to recover some of their losses through that and um <laughs> The extra, obviously, the extra sleeve sponsors. Oh yeah, are adding to adding to that as well. We we need to get AFTN on a sleeve somewhere. <laughs> yes, I mean for this tournament. Well, a- any tournament. I I wouldn't mind some like uh, bum advertising, like on someone's shorts. I think that would be good. Really? Maybe not. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why you want that. I was going to say most people want to see that. Their name, their, their their name in lights. You want to see it on some footballer's butt, okay? Yeah, oh, mainly Johnny Russell's. <laughs> I pitched a sole sponsorship deal to Sport in Kansas City, but they they said no. <laughs> I'm also oh, like banned from the conference calls with them <laughs> for my my visual demonstration of what it would look like. Anyway, back. No, yeah, yeah, back to the back to the story. chat. Actually, like, let's keep talking about Kansas City because now we're recording this on Saturday night. I'm hoping to bring it out a little bit earlier than usual on Sunday, just so that everyone can hear MDS uh, just as soon as possible, chatting about stuff. But Sporting Kansas City had a player test positive for COVID on Friday. Second test was confirmed on Friday. That player, who's not been named, has been isolated. But yet, whilst they are awaiting the incubation period for the rest of the team, they are still set to play their game against Minnesota on Sunday night, which to me is absolutely crazy. Yeah, I, can you ma- can you imagine how the Minnesota players feel? Yeah. It's like, oh man, yeah, that, that, yeah. I mean, I, I thought the MLSPA may have stepped in and done something, but I mean, so at the time of us recording this, it's going ahead. And I mean, it's a massive risk because if any of these players start to even show up Monday or Tuesday, because I mean, they could be testing negative just now, but then the incubation period brings it out in a couple of days. You've then put two teams in the tournament at risk and you've actually put the whole tournament at risk. I just don't think it's worth it. When other games have been postponed or delayed, they surely could have delayed this for a couple of days just out of the abundance of caution. Yeah, I mean, I, we're, we're past that point, uh, I think, a long time ago. Uh, I think they, they weathered the storm of uh, people, people getting the virus as they entered the bubble, whether that be from travel or... When they first got there or they had it before it wasn't you know they were asymptomatic or this the test didn't show they had it or whatever um but they passed that and i don't think much is going to stop them now michael to be honest like it would it would take more than one player on one team 
um, like this case with uh, Kansas City to for them to put some big breaks on. Uh, so I, uh, as I, as much as I feel bad for for Minnesota, uh, I don't see MLS. I don't see MLS stopping now. No. And of course, the, there was the the news last week that Dallas had withdrawn from the tournament, or were withdrawn from the tournament, we should say. And then Nashville followed after nine players overall tested positive. And there was some interesting stuff. There was like murmurs going around, kind of pointing the fingers at both Dallas and Nashville for being irresponsible and players not following protocols in the build-up to the tournament. Now, Luchi Gonzalez, the FC Dallas head coach, was very adamant that that was not the case with his team. And there had been a picture that was doing the rounds, apparently, of players sharing cheesies or some kind of things like that on the plane over. And he said, look, that was not anything to do with the us breaching protocol. That followed all the protocol. You were allowed to share snacks on, on the plane and food. So he wanted to make clear that they followed everything that they needed to and then Ian Ayer the CEO of Nashville as well issued a statement categorically denying that Nashville had not followed procedures either and I just want to read a little bit of it just now it says we followed all of the protocols it was very clear what every team had to do it was made very clear to every team what the process is whether that was at practice to and from practice at home to travel, they were all made clear. And to be honest with you, I've been pretty incensed over the last 24 hours with some of the suggestions I've seen. Stuff like apparently our players had some big going away party, which never happened, or we didn't follow the protocols, or they didn't do this or that. None of this stuff is with any foundation at all, and there's no substance. It's a poor tactic, really. We were absolutely stringent in putting those processes and protocols together as directed by the league and our healthcare partner. Now, he's basically saying that word is getting out blaming them and he feels it's like taking away from the league. He thinks he's done everything right. I I have no reason to doubt him. And you do then have to start to wonder why, why they're then pointing the fingers at the two teams. And you know exactly why. And I mean, it's it's concerning and I, first and foremost, I feel sorry for the teams, the players having to go through this. Dallas and Nashville, they're still stuck in the hotel because they can't fly home. So now they're in this incubation period. So it's not an ideal situation for anyone. But pointing fingers and like trying to cast blame at the teams doesn't help anyone, I feel. No, yeah, I saw Lucho Gonzalez and... Uh, it, I think it was good of him to address uh, things the way that he did and say, look... Uh, this was all within the, the parameters that we were given and, you know, we didn't break any of that thing. So, or any of those things. So, that, you know, this, you know, this is not because our players misbehaved. And I saw, I didn't see the full thing from Nashville, but I saw some of it and the same thing there. Um, yeah. I, you just feel bad. You feel, I mean, you feel bad for them. Obviously the most significant thing is you hope that, you know, all the people who have tested positive, they don't have any long-term ramifications. Um, uh, you know, and obviously that they don't spread it to other people, uh, whether that be their teammates or you know people in the hotel or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, it would suck to have to be to not be able to participate and be stuck in that hotel for at least fourteen days or whatever. 
before you can before you can leave away from your family and yeah that would be awful of course nashville bowing out meant that the groups had to get rejiggled and it, it in a lot of ways it made it look a better competition because you've now got six groups four teams each it's it's a lot clearer than having one group of six it has affected the Whitecaps drastically in Group B, and we'll dig more into the Whitecaps in general in the next part, but I just kind of want to look at the fact that Nashville were out, Dallas were out, so that meant the Whitecaps group was down to three, Group A was at five. The easy thing to do was move the one Western team from Group A into Group B, but that Western team was Nashville, so you couldn't do that. So instead, Nashville's opponents, Chicago Fire, have been moved into the Whitecaps group. Tough in Chicago, because you've got a team that was all set to play Eastern rivals. They knew who they were playing. They'd prepped to play those teams, done all their research. Then at the last minute, they're shoved into a group that's a tough group with the MLS champs. And now they've got to kind of rework everything on just a, a few days' notice. And before I get your thoughts on that, Zach, I want to bring you some audio from Chicago head coach Raphael Wicke. I jumped on a conference call with him on Friday and I asked him about that. Other folk asked him about that. And let's just hear a little bit of what he had to say about Chicago having to move into Group B. With your group uh, and schedule changes, um, and so much of this being unprecedented, um, it seems as though there's a, um, a challenge for the psychology of you're keeping your team focused and, and, and performing on the field. Could you speak a little bit about how you've uh, faced that and how you sort of keep the, the, uh, everyone on the same page and pulling in the same direction in such a unique situation? Yeah, look, that's something we started from the beginning we always said let's let's focus on what we can control let's focus on on the work we put in on on the discipline we we put in with being social distance with not getting positive with, with wearing masks all of that uh, let's focus on our daily work in the, in the training and that that's what we do and and um, that was also the case in these last uh, eight days where we were not sure in which group are we going to be what, what day are we going to what day will we play? Because there was a lot of uncertainty, but there was a lot of uncertainty in the last two and a half, three months. Um, so we kind of were used to it. No one really knew what will happen. And it is a little bit, it was a little bit the same here. Um, and we spoke to the guys and said, look guys, it's not ideal, but um, it's not easy as well for the league to deal. They tried, they tried their best. Let's focus on what we can control. Uh, Wherever we play, whenever we play, let's be ready. Let's be ready. Uh, and, and, and we are. We are. The team is doing well. The team, the team works well. The spirit is good. Uh, they're all focused. Um, are we happy about every single thing with changing the group and now have to prepare different? No, but, but it doesn't make sense to lose too much energy on that. Again, uh, we're going to be ready. We're ready. Uh, they they want to play. Uh, that's why we're here. And, and now we're going to play, okay? We've got to be flexible. Now we play in another group. It is what it is. That's, that's honestly, that's, that's how we talk about it. Everything else, I think, is, is a loss of energy and things we can control. The league is not doing that on purpose. They're not changing our group because they just feel like, oh, this morning I'm getting up. Let's change them. There is reasons behind that. And, and that, that's how it is right now. And from our side, we show flexibility and we're going to be there. 
that's that's what we can do. So you talk about the unknown of switching groups. How, as a coach, and when you were talking to the guys about, you know, now having to prepare for different teams, do you see, especially given that the first game is against Seattle, is this a blessing in that, you know, the short turnaround doesn't require new prep since you've already seen them this year, despite the fact that obviously they're the reigning MLS Cup champions? How, you know, in your discussions with the players over the last 24 hours, what, what's kind of been your message to them about now having to think about different opponents than you did previously? So the first thing I have to say, when, when you know the group, uh, and we knew uh, Nashville, uh, into Miami, New York City, of course, as a coaching staff, we start prepared. But it's not, it's not that we started talking to our team about Inter Miami and New York City already 10 days ago. The, we go game by game. So we, we start with obviously analyzing within the coaching staff those teams. Um, but our immediate preparation towards Nashville hasn't, has not started, has, didn't start explicitly at that moment when we knew there is rumors that we may be, the game may be postponed. So now, now we know we have a new group and now it's the same. Now we prepare for Seattle. Within the coaching staff, of course, we prepare Seattle, we prepare San Jose and we work on Vancouver. But with the team, we're not already going to talk about Vancouver. So it is, it is, we have to change Nashville. We now prepare Seattle. Um, so that, that's how we do it. Um, and then only after Seattle, we go into San Jose then. Um, so um, we've already played them. Uh, some of the analyses we've done in, in, in February, uh, we probably can use them. But as well, again, and I said it multiple times on, on our calls, how much from March is still the same now in these teams? They also had a, a three months break. Some of the players who were there in March may not be there now or who were not there in March may play now. Uh, Nikos Lodero, Svensson, I think another centre-back. So we don't really know. We'll see tonight what team they put on the field. Um, but um, I just think in general you have to be flexible and, and, and prepare game, game by game. And that's what we do. And that's also the way we spoke to the, to the team. We said, let's focus now on Seattle and then uh, go to the next game. That, that's how we do it. Just wanted to ask about the schedule that you've got. You've got two morning games at, at 9am, and then you've got that 8pm game. Now, the two 8pm games that we've seen so far, it looks really sapping conditions. How difficult is it going to be to get the team adjusted from going morning to late, then back to morning again? Uh, that, is in, that is, in fact, a challenge, which we knew before. We had, obviously, our 9am uh, our, uh, game against... Uh, into Miami, and then we would have had an 8 p.m. game uh, later on as well. So, so we had these these thoughts and these talks already before. So right now, the only thing what changes is is uh, we have two morning games, and being here now since eight days, um, yeah, it is quite a, it is quite a difference if you are in the morning under the sun. Uh, I think it's way hotter than if you're in the evening eight or even later on when the sun is not there. But it's still very warm and very humid. Um, so we're training in the morning. Most of our training times in Chicago are always in the morning. Uh, we're training now. Most of our trainings have been in the morning and now will be in the morning. Um, we, try, we try to adjust to that. But um, yeah, both teams are in the same. Uh, it's not that we're the only team playing at, at, at that time in the morning. So uh, it's, 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 again, we cannot control that. This is how it is um, for, for, for both teams. But um, yeah, it, 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 is, it is hot. It is hot. 
So we've got to be smart in the way we play, in the way we approach the game, in our preparation, uh, not only on game day, but, but all these days uh, with recovery, with, with food, with sleep. All of that is, is, is very important, obviously, because the, the conditions are, are, are challenging here, yes. Obviously, going back to the start times of the matches, you have the two morning match, you have the morning match, the night match, and the morning match. How do you get guys, I guess, body clocks, and I, how do you get their sleep right for that? Um, because I know there's a lot of study in sports now about the importance of sleep and optimizing sleep. So how are you managing that when they have three, uh, different start times over the course of a week? So today was our day off. Um, now we have three training sessions, uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We will train twice at 10.30 a.m. And, and Monday we train at 8 a.m., which is an early session. Um, so obviously we're having morning sessions. Okay, 10.30 is a little bit later than 9.00. But you obviously get them into a rhythm where they have to get up um, at a certain time and have breakfast and, and train in the morning. Train, all, train also under these conditions because usually it's quite sunny and, and, and warm in the morning. Um, if you're lucky, it gets a little bit clouds and a little bit of rain. Um, and then it's, it's obviously, again, talking to the players and tell, okay, now try to go to bed earlier so that you have enough sleep uh, because because you have on, on match day minus one and on match day, you will have to get up um, quite early in the morning. So it's actually these days now trying to use already a little bit of that pattern. Uh, in, in terms of nutrition, which is obviously very interesting, and I have to be honest, I don't think I have ever played as a professional player a 9 a.m. competition game. Um, but you usually try to eat about three hours, three and a half hours before the game, which we're obviously not going to have, we're not going to do at 5.30. We're probably going to, eating between 6 and 6.15, still about three hours, two hours, 45 before the game. Um, but usually as well, you have to see that normally when you get up at that time, you don't eat the same amount of food as you would when you prepare for an afternoon game or an evening game. So, so it's just, um, they have to get used to that. And we will train that a little bit in the next couple of days with the morning sessions. I fell in love again. All things go. All things go, drove to Chicago, all things know, all things know. So Chicago head coach Raphael Wicke there just talking about Chicago, moving into the Whitecaps group, all the ins and outs of that. I mean, he's taking it on the chin, really, and not blaming the league, because obviously, I mean, the, the league were put in a position here that they had to do something, and this was the only thing that they could really do that would have made sense. But, I mean, it's tough for Chicago. The, the teams in Group B, they only have one new team to prepare for, whereas Chicago now have three. I, I thought I heard somewhere that uh, it was well, Chicago was one of the teams that actually had done some scouting of all the, all the, all the other teams in the league, and so yeah. that they were a little bit maybe, I think it was Chicago. Well, that's uh, so they to have. Yeah, just you know, for the you know, as the the longevity of the tournament, right? As as they ideally would would go further, although that feels weird thinking about Chicago going far. But so yeah, so they they might have done some scouting in terms of you know being more ready for to play these three West Coast teams. But yeah, you you I guess in one sense you feel bad for for them. But again, this whole thing is kind of rolling with the punches, and. Uh, I mean, actually, to be, to be honest, I, I think the most awkward transition for them in terms of preparation will be San Jose. Uh, if you, you know, if you, if you watch the San Jose game against Seattle, 
to me, they outplayed Seattle just with their Seattle somehow was well, wasn't able to adjust to the, the man marking and just, uh, you know, play their way through it the way you would expect them with their quality. Uh, and then the couple of times they did, they just couldn't, they couldn't finish their chances. And so I think that'll be the biggest challenge for Chicago is how do they, or the biggest adjustment for Chicago, how do they deal with Matias Almeida's uh, way of, way of man marking uh, his opponents? Yeah, certainly going to be very interesting. But we'll, we'll turn our attention to the Whitecaps and the Canadian teams in the next part. And we will be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Have a good time all the time. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. And that was this week's song from this month's Artist of the Month, Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine, with her 1992 single Do Re Mi, So Far, So Good. Taken from their third studio album, 1992, The Love Album. And we'll have more from Carter coming up in next week's show. So let's bring you some more MLS is Back tournament discussion. And, well, what a day Sunday has been. A lot of this podcast we recorded on Saturday, but I kept this part back because I was wanting to talk a little bit about Toronto and I wanted to wait until their match on Sunday morning to, to do the recording. was originally going to get up at 6am but thought, you know what, it's TFC. Why would I want to get up at 6am? Just let my body wake up at a natural time, so it was about 8.20 in the end. PVR the game, was going to go downstairs and watch it but I thought I'll just check my emails first. And lo and behold, there's an email from MLS saying that the TFC-DC United game had been postponed because a DC United player had tested positive for COVID and a Toronto player had had an inconclusive test. So a major surprise there and, I mean, right away it had you wondering what's happened? Did they get it in the bubble? Is the bubble at risk? Has the bubble been breached? Subsequent tests on Sunday came back to say that both players were indeed negative. So it was a false positive result, another false positive result. 
There had been initial rumours that the game was then going to get replayed on Sunday night, but it's now getting played on Monday morning, 9am Orlando time. And that has had a a big knock-on effect for later in the week for that group. The big game, the Canadian Derby on Wednesday, TFC against Montreal, has now been pushed back to Thursday, meaning the Whitecaps game on Wednesday has been brought forward by an hour and a half, but I'll talk a little bit more about that after my chat with Mark DeSantis in part three. All very unsettling for TFC and DC United as well, because you've also got to remember that this TFC-DC United game was originally pushed back two days because of TFC's late arrival. Now it's been pushed back a further day and DC United don't play again until Thursday anyway, but I mean, it's not ideal. DC United had actually turned up at the stadium. TFC did not leave the hotel when the postponement was announced, so all very unsettling for everyone involved in this, and you have to feel there's going to be a little bit of an anxiety as well amongst everyone with these two teams as to, are they really tested negative? Was it a false positive? Maybe somebody else in the group has got a positive test in them and it's just still in the incubation period. It's it's a tough one and I really feel for the, the players on both teams just now. I mean, it, it's not ideal. I jumped on a, a call with TFC on Friday and that the players were really looking forward to the match. They were really up for the match. Bring you a little bit of audio from that just now. It's just a, a question that I asked Justin Morrow around the tournament. Let's hear what he had to say. I just wanted to ask you, Justin, about the the matches that you've got. You've got two early morning games, sandwiched in the middle, got even kickoff. A player, how difficult is that going to be for your body to kind of adjust it to going from that and also at short short notice as well? Yeah, I think the most difficult thing will be the short time in between the first and second match. Um, you know, our delayed schedule getting here will play a little bit of factor into that, but. Um, you know, we've done an incredible job of, of keeping our team together and safe while we were in Toronto leading up to this tournament. That meant that we had weeks of uninterrupted practice before we got here, whereas that's not the case for a lot of other teams. And so we're hoping that good preparation and that um, attention to detail will help us get through the tournament healthy and successful. So Justin Morrow there, we will see him on the pitch tomorrow. Hopefully, barring any more weirdness. Hopefully there's not a thunderstorm delay now. I mean, that surely must be on the cards as the the other thing that could happen for these teams. It's certainly been an interesting life in the bubble for TFC. And you're going to hear a little bit about this during the show. I've asked a few people this same question this this past week, the, the last couple of days. What has life been like for them personally in the bubble? What's their daily routine like? I put that question to TFC head coach Greg Vanny. Here's what he had to say. So, you know, we've been, uh, due to our shift in schedule and us playing now in the mornings, we were going to do night training sessions when we were originally going to play this first game at night. Now we're doing 8 a.m. training sessions. Uh, so, you know, guys are up pretty early, and including myself. I'm, I'm up by 6 o'clock. Um, preparing for the session we've we've already done the the session preparation and met all the staff and everybody knows what they're going to be doing the next day so we've taken care of that the night before so 
up by six o'clock, have breakfast. Uh, we as a staff get out to the field an hour before the players to make sure everything's set up, go through all the details. Uh, the players arrive and then, you know, we'd start training between eight and eight 15 and we were not out there for an incredibly long time just because again, the heat and we try to get what we need in as quickly as possible. And then when we get back, it's, we have access to the gym. So there's, you know, guys getting in their lifts and we try to keep our schedule as, as close to what the guys would do if they were back home uh, and what a day would look like. The difference now is that, you know, we get a lot of that stuff in. And I, I've said to somebody today, I, I accomplished more by 11 o'clock in the morning while I'm here than uh, I have in a, a lifetime really. So, uh, so a lot of things happen early, but it's been nice. And then at the end of that, it's a lot of rest, it's recovery, it's starting to prepare for, for the next day or, or the upcoming events, whatever that looks like. And so, um, it's, it's been fine. Look, look, I've, I also said to someone the other day as a professional, former professional player and as a coach, we have spent many, many days in our life where we're just sitting in hotel rooms waiting for the game that night or whatever. So for me, it's, it's very similar to that. There's more days that on top of each other that we do that, but I think we've all learned over the years how to, how to manage ourselves being alone, being in our rooms or just for lack of better words, just kind of passing time away. So because we're waiting for a game and we don't want to put any energy out or whatever that looks like. And so that's what, that's, uh, that's what it's been like for us. And, and um, look, it's, it's what we have to do to play. And, and, and that's uh, for me playing is, is why I'm here. And it's, you know, what my life is about and, and we're here to try to win and to play and, and uh, do the best we can stay safe, obviously in the process. TFC head coach Greg Vanny there giving us a little bit of insight as to what life is like inside the TFC bubble down there in Orlando. We'll have more insights like that coming up later in the show. Keeping the, the Canadian theme going though, let's turn our attention now to the Montreal Impact. So TFC in Montreal, as I mentioned, are now meeting on Thursday instead of Wednesday. That's going to give Montreal a whole week to have recovered from their tournament opener. They went down to a 1-0 loss to New England Revolution on Thursday. Thierry Henry's first loss as a coach in MLS. Although it was a, a narrow loss on paper, Montreal certainly were, were outplayed for big, big portions of the match. Some really weird kind of tactical decisions from Henri and his lineup, playing Samuel Piet as a wing back, being one of them. And he certainly didn't like being asked about his tactics after the match. Said the defeat was not down to that, but did put a lot of criticism on the what he felt lack of urgency, lack of bite, lack of fire of his players. But I jumped on the Montreal call after the game. Primarily, I was looking into the fact that they were going to be having longer to recover for the Canadian Derby than TFC were going to have. At that point, it looked like it was just going to be three days compared to, to six days. Still three days for TFC, but now Montreal's got a, a day even longer. So I'll bring you a little bit of audio now from that press conference, just as a was asking a couple of questions, one to Thierry Henry and one to Montreal Impact defender, Juka Raitala. Here's what they had to say.
to look ahead to Wednesday's game. Now, obviously, the conditions looked really sapping out there for the players. Does it benefit you to have the three extra days to recover over Toronto? Or are they going to be maybe better prepared because you don't want as big a gap between the games? Yeah, well, time will tell. Um, a lot of teams came with different uh, schedule here in terms of preparation. You just have to adapt to, what's com to what comes your way. Uh, whenever we have to play, that's when we're going to try to be ready and uh, in a better way that we were tonight. Sapping conditions out there. As a player, how difficult is it then for you to recover? Does having this extra three days over Toronto for the next game benefit you? Or is it actually worse because it allows your body to kind of seize up a little bit? I mean, well, you know, it, it is tough. It is tough. It's not it's tough to, to play games after so so many months. And, you know, it was the first game for four months for all of us. But, I mean, now we we take take the analyze the game and, and we really need to improve to be able to do a do a much better game against Toronto and and you know it's it's good for us to see how they, how they play their first game and and you know prepare as well as we can Thierry Henry and Yuka Raitala there just answering a couple of questions from me in their post-game press conference after their 1-0 defeat to New England on Thursday. You do have to feel that they're going to be heading into this game with a little bit of an advantage and we're going to be talking a bit about that with regards to San Jose and the Whitecaps this coming Wednesday. A whole week's rest, I think, is a great thing for Montreal, but it's going to mean nothing if Henri cannot get his team motivated for this one and get some fire in their belly, because they, they certainly seem to lack that in that opening game. Maybe they'll have had another week to get used to the conditions and we're going to see a, a much different Montreal impact in the second game. But one thing is for certain, if they lose this second game, they're in danger of heading home early from the tournament. Just as long, of course, as there's no more incidents regarding testing in the TFC camp. No positive test for them, but they did have that inconclusive one, as I mentioned. Playing in that match against DC United, who had a positive test and a negative test, and you just have to hope, as I, as I keep reiterating, that you do not want to be going up against a player that's maybe incubating the virus and it just hasn't shown yet in all of this testing. And that was my big concern for Minnesota United on Sunday night. Sporting Kansas City had a player that tested positive. But under the, what I frankly feel is bizarre MLS protocols, if a team has a player test positive, but the rest of that team tests negative, they can go and play their game. Not bothering at all about the possible incubation period and the virus not showing up in these tests. So, I mean, that, I think, is a genuine concern. I was stunned, really. Mostly, knowing what MLS have been like with this tournament. But I, I, I was genuinely stunned that they went ahead with a Sporting Kansas City-Minnesota United game on Sunday evening. For me, an abundance of caution would have been to postpone this game for a couple of days just to make sure that nobody else in this KC camp tested positive for the virus Give it a few days for that incubation period to kick in. Do the tests then. If everything's good to go, you play the game. But it went ahead on Sunday. 
just finished watching it before recording this segment of the, the podcast to try and keep this as fresh as possible. And what a game this was. This is a highly enjoyable game that Sporting Kansas City were the far better team in, but ended up going down to a 2-1 defeat. Their first defeat of the 2020 MLS season. We're leading 1-0. Minnesota also had a goal disallowed for offside that would have tied things up. Then the big turning point came in the 74th minute when KC keeper Tim Melia was sent off for a foul outside the box, deemed to be a denial of goal-scoring opportunity. I mean, he definitely brought the guy down. You could argue that there was two KC defenders that would have got back on the line and would have stopped any goal taking place. Was given a straight red, though. Off he went. KC down to 10 men. Minnesota then crashed one off the bar. But it looked like KC were going to hang on as the game went into stoppage time and then the drama really took over. Kyrie Shelton, who had given KC the lead two minutes before half-time with a goal that Tyler Miller, the Minnesota keeper, is certainly going to want to get back. It was horrible from the keeper. He went to go one way thinking that Shelton was going to like square the ball into the box Shelton saw the gap at the near post, fired at home, 1-0 KC. As I said, that looked to be the result that was going to stand, but then two minutes into stoppage time, Shelton with the own goal didn't know anything about it. The ball just hit off his chest after Jan Gregis whipped in a a free kick and into the back of the net, 1-1, you thought, wow, Minnesota have stolen a point here. But full credit to Minnesota, They sensed blood, they had the man advantage, they thought they could go and get the win, and they did get the win. In the 97th minute, Kevin Molino collected a ball from Raheem Edwards, hit it past the backup Casey keeper Richard Sanchez, hat tip to his big porn moustache that he's got as well, that was certainly a sight to behold, gave the three points, the vital three points, to Minnesota United, and it looked like this game was done and dusted for them. you just got to give them so much credit for fighting back. Just amazing stuff from the Loons. And I got a chance to ask Adrian Heath about the comeback. I got the first question to him in the post-game press conference, and I, I just had to ask him just about the fighting spirit that his team showed, especially considering all the, the lead-up to this game. Here's what he had to say. Just wanted to get you to talk a little bit about the fighting spirit of your team. It, it was such a difficult build-up for this match. The uncertainty, perhaps, over Sporting Kansas City's test and whether the game would go ahead and then to be a goal down. To put all that aside and score two goals in stoppage time, what does that say about your team? Well, I, you know, the words that spring to mind are character adversity and, you know, I was, I was talking to the players just... You know, I think I played over five, six hundred league games and the amount of times that you win games when you've not played particularly well. And that was us tonight. Um, you know, they they were far and away the better team. Um, but we always looked dangerous when we started to put one or two passes together. And as you say, the most important thing was at the end of the day, they, they dug in. They didn't concede when we had a lot of pressure. And when it's 1-0, you always have a chance in any game. And, you know, I'm sure that Peter was thinking we need the second goal to kill this game off. And when, you know, obviously when we had the bit of good play and I thought Aaron Schoenfield came on and gave us a real lift. I thought Molino in the last 25 minutes was outstanding. 
but you know the the running of the players at the end considering we've not played for four months was uh, was outstanding so Adrian Heath they are rightly delighted by the fighting spirit shown by his Minnesota United team big big three points for them recording this before the Colorado RSL game is over it's half time just now and the Utah side are 1-0 up so we'll see if that one stands you'll know that of course by the time you listen to this but an eventful Sunday an enjoyable Sunday let's see what the rest of the week has to bring and of course the rest of the week is going to see the Whitecaps in action for the first time in this tournament taking on San Jose touched on it on the, the first part there Zach San Jose have a game under their belt. And I, I, I was curious what team kind of has the advantage going into this match because you've got San Jose that's experienced the weather, but we don't really know what effect that's going to have on, have on their bodies because they were sweating buckets and uh, they looked quite drained by the end of that match. And they put in a hell of a shift, lots of pressing, lots of running about, lots of zonal marking. So, I mean, they're going into that knowing what to expect, but maybe tired. Then you've got the Whitecaps going into it, completely fresh legs, but not having kicked a ball in anger for for four months. So, before I get your thoughts on that, that was something I asked San Jose head coach Matthias Almeida after the match. So, let's hear what Matthias Almeida had to say. Along with the man that kept a clean sheet against Seattle... And we'll be looking to do the same against the Whitecaps on Wednesday night. San Jose goalkeeper, Jackson Yule. Hi Matthias, uh, Michael from AFTN here. You've got Vancouver coming up now in five days' time. They have not played a game yet. Do, do you feel going into this you have a bit of an advantage because you've experienced these conditions or do you feel that they're going to be coming in fresher and they might be heading into this with the advantage? I think we'll all be even. Obviously, Obviously, after playing the game we played today, we'll need two or three days to recover. But we're not here to give excuses. Tenemos un grupo donde los jugadores que hoy no participaron podrán participar seguramente. We want to we have a group where the guys who didn't play today will surely end up participating. Eh, así que eh, será un partido difícil nuevamente como son todos. So it'll be a hard game as they all are. Aprovecho también para solidarizarme con con la gente de Dallas, con la gente de Nashville. I also want to show solidarity to the people from Dallas and the people of uh, from Nashville. Eh, y bueno, nosotros con, trataremos de, de hacer un de estudiar al rival que viene y hacer un, un buen partido nuevamente. So we'll try to study the upcoming opponent and have another good game. Uh, hi Jackson, I was wanting to ask a little bit about the conditions. Now obviously you guys hadn't played for four months like all the teams, but you're facing a Vancouver side that's had a bit of time to train together. Heading into that game on Wednesday, do you feel you've got enough time to recover or are they more going to be at a disadvantage because they haven't experienced those conditions yet? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're relying on all the guys that we brought on the team. Um, I mean, we have a very deep squad and, you know, we're, we're relying on, on every player who, who did play to recover as fast as possible and everyone who didn't to, to be ready. Um, you know, we were fortunate enough to come early and, and get a little bit accustomed to the weather and um, be, being able to train with, with one another um, earlier while we're here. Um, so I don't know if it's if it's an advantage or not, but um, you know I think we'll be ready. Um, we're we're gonna do as much as possible to to do regen and and get everyone um, who the coach picks um, ready for that game. So Matthias Almeida there kind of feels that the teams are going into on a level playing field but you have to feel it's a bit of advantage San Jose because they know what to expect out there they, yeah they, not only do they have the experience in the tournament of having played a game but they also uh, have been able to put their very specific approach to football their coaches very specific approach to football into practice in this setting uh, and so I think that that bodes well for them also because they, they were so effective in, uh, in it. Um, I, I mean, did you get to watch the full 90 minutes of that game, Michael? I did. And I mean, yeah. for a, for a nil nil game, it was actually, a, it was a pretty entertaining game and I couldn't believe the, well, the aggression. First of all, there was lots of tackles flying in and that. But just the intensity of it, it's like there was a lot of running and I think some of those players will really have felt it the next day. Yeah, I mean, up to that point in the tournament, it was by far the, the most interesting game to watch. Uh, and so, yeah, I just think, I think San Jose will, will be ready to go and I think they're going to do the same thing, which is weird because one of the things they said on the broadcast was uh, their striker uh, who didn't play, I don't think he came on even the sub, Danny Hoyson, supposedly was telling Taylor Twelman or whoever that, hey, they have some surprises for Seattle when really they didn't. They just came out of man, man mark for 90 minutes. But the thing was, they, I, I don't know, I don't know how you feel, Michael, even though I think Seattle actually had the better chances in the game, I felt like San Jose was more dominant. Like they more controlled the game. I think it was in the first half too. They had like 70% possession or something crazy. Yeah. Um, and so I, I felt like they, it was a very, a very good performance for them and a respectable result for them. And I can guarantee you that Matias Almeida is looking to uh, not just for another draw, he's looking for, for wins against Vancouver and Chicago for sure. If you're looking at it on paper, he's going to feel that those two games are very winnable. Just like totally. Mark DeSantis will feel the San Jose and Chicago games are winnable. And Rafael Wicke will probably feel that the San Jose and Vancouver games are winnable. And Seattle's the team, I think, that a lot of folk thought, oh, they'll get three wins. But, I mean, already they, they've dropped two points. MDS said on a conference call on Friday that was the result he was looking for. He was looking for a draw to kick things off. He got his, his wish there. But, I mean, San Jose against the Whitecaps, well, let, let, we haven't talked about this ourselves because I did this after we'd recorded. But the Whitecaps announced their roster. And it was a bit of a shock because they flew down on Monday, missing five players. They were missing Freddie Montero, Lucas Cavallini, Toussaint Ricketts, Andy Rose and George Mukubilwa. 
And you're looking at the three of those, Freddy, Cava, and Toss. And it's like three of your key experienced attackers. Missing them now in the tournament. And, I mean, a, a shock. We knew Freddy because he'd announced it on Instagram. But to see Cava and Toss missing as well... It's a tall, tall order now for the Whitecaps. You kind of wonder where the goals are coming from, but then at the same time, you've got Dahomey, Milinkovic, Reyna, then you've got the young Canadians of Raposo and Theo Bear, who we'll kind of talk about a bit later in the show. But it does look like they could be in for a bit of a tough slog down there. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's all your experience and your most prolific goal scorers, you know. Uh, so. It, it, I mean, I, I've often in the past said that Vancouver struggles in MLS. It's like their coaches has like one hand tied behind his back because he can't have any, uh, you know, designated players over $1.5 million on salary. And, and now you've, you've lost those, <laughs> those best, play, those, those top players in that, you know, significant striking position. So it's like, he's going in with both hands tied behind his back. Yeah. It's like, it's a very unfair fight for Marcus Santos and his coaches and, and the squad as a whole. Uh, I, you just feel really, really bad for them. And uh, I mean, I think most people would have felt for Vancouver to get out of their, their group and to, to go somewhere in this tournament, they would have had to have played above themselves anyway. And now uh, they have to, every single one of them would have to play out of their skin for them to, you know, maybe even get a win in this group or let alone advance. Well, I mean, all the focus has been on the attack and what's missing there, but you've also got to look at the centre of the defence because Andy Rose looked really good against LA Galaxy. Him and Kamiri had a great partnership. So now you've got Rose not there. You've got Godoy just coming back from injury and we think he's good to go, but we're not 100%. So if he isn't really good to go from the off, you only have three centre-backs. You've got Ranko who hasn't played an MLS minute yet, Jasser Kimiri, who's only played a couple of games so far, and Derek Cornelius, who's the most experienced in terms of MLS, but he's still a young guy. That That's a worry. And if there's any injury in that position, I mean, Patrick Metcalf at a push could slip back and play uh, as a centre-back. I saw him do that with TSS Rovers, but, I mean, it's not ideal. And again, he's not made a, an MLS start yet, but... I think defensively as well, that's a little bit of a worry. Yeah, I mean, no one's really talking about the defense because it's like they're wounded up front so badly. But you're right. Uh, they are a, an injury or a suspension, uh, you know, away from being in a lot, a lot of trouble at the back as well. And the other side of this, of course, is, as you said, it creates opportunities for, uh, for some players going forward. The problem is that they, I think a lot of the guys that they have with potential up front, you know, Milinkovic and Raposo and those kind of players is they're not really central players. They're more wide players. And so you have like someone like Jordi Reyna who, yeah, he can play centrally, but he doesn't have the physical presence. And uh, he's usually better, I think, playing with someone or off someone. And, uh, and then you have Theo Bear who only has limited experience, and although I think he's done well, and I think he can do well, and I hope he does do well, just the options are very, very limited for them. Yeah, I mean, we we don't have an out-and-out striker. MDS has talked about playing Reyna as a false nine, but 
if he's in as a false nine, what's the shape going to look like? It's kind of, it's going to be interesting in that first game. I mean, it might confuse San Jose. You have to feel that you don't want to give San Jose too much possession, but at the same time, you don't want to be running around with the ball and being chased all over the park. And I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how Wednesday goes. And I think Wednesday is the big, big test, really, because if they get off to a good start, I'm going to feel confident that we might get through the group. Lose that on Wednesday, and I think it's hard to recover from that. Yeah, I, uh, definitely. I would agree with you in that. Playing Jordi Reyna as a false nine, like playing him as your center forward as a false nine, like how much – my guess is they would not have practiced the, that little to to never in Vancouver in this in this preseason or – yeah, pre-return, and we, so you're in Florida, and you have like how many practices before you play <laughs> that you're gonna you're gonna start yeah. all of a sudden putting Jordan like it. It doesn't feel like a, a great fit in my opinion, but you're right. Maybe it could it could do something in terms of drawing San Jose out a little bit uh, because San Jose really it's all just about being. You, you just you need some good good movement, some good give and goes, just and then all of a sudden you're in right. And we saw that a couple times from Seattle. Yeah, well, you can, one thing about the Seattle, Seattle. If we say one thing about Seattle, uh, they have uh, rejuvenated or uh, reloaded in terms of the center back position uh, at their club uh, after having some long mainstay people there for a long time, and for and then some people there for the, the midterm time. But uh, I don't know if you watched that game, but they definitely have two new center backs that uh, I think everyone in Cascadia will will really not like um, mm. in, in a big big way. Yeah. I think you could be right there. That could be a, an interesting matchup for the Caps as well because we don't have a lot of physicality really to challenge them. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, the last thing we'll, we'll mention about the, the White Caps in this part is with Chicago moving into the group and the first game against Dallas being postponed, something we thought was going to happen, which was they were going to have to play a game at 9 a.m., 6 a.m. in our time. That's exactly what's going to happen with the third group game. Before I get your thoughts on that, Zach, I'll just play a little bit from MDS. I I asked him about that in a conference call on Friday. Here's what he had to say about that. Last time we talked a few days ago, we didn't really know what was happening with the group. Now you you know you've got Chicago and you you know you've got an early morning game. Just really to get your... Your thoughts on that and just what that means now to the the careful preparation that you had for these evening matches? Really hard, guys. Really hard. Uh, we we prepare and we're living uh, to play at 10.30. Uh, so everything is later. Our breakfast later, our training's later. And right after the game against Seattle, we're going to have to reset again. And from 10.30 p.m. to 9 a.m., is a huge, massive difference. And we have about two days to get readapted again. And uh, that's not going to be easy. But what we have to do is, right after the Seattle game, reset our clocks, refocus on everybody getting up early, training early, eating early. Uh, So we prepare. We go from 11 a.m. breakfast time to a 6.30 a.m. breakfast time. So it's a huge change. But we're going to have to adapt. And uh, look, it's been challenging since day one, you know, uh, everything. So 
we're not expecting that that it comes down. In a lot of ways, you're lucky because you've only got that one sort of change. Chicago, I know they're starting off with a, a game at nine, then they've got an evening game, then they've got a, another early morning game. Been on a couple of other conference calls this morning and the people are saying that the heat at six or 9 a.m. as it is there is actually worse or it feels worse than the, the games at night time. Have, have you seen that so far or have you not really been around at that time? I've never been out since I've been here. I've only been out at 10.30 or 9.30 for training. Uh, but what I think, it's, it's very humid at night and still very hot. So the humidity factor and the, the being hot, it's for everyone. Uh, the adaptation for us is going to be more on the time and more getting used to time zone and going from very quick from 10.30 to right, right away uh, 9 a.m. And maybe with Chicago, the difference is that they, they're going to have a 9 a.m. game and a 10.30 game. Uh, and then they play us at 9 a.m., but they, uh, they've lived the 9 a.m. game before. Uh, with us, we have a life here for the first 12 days of training very late, playing very late, and then we have to shift very quickly to a, a exaggerate difference. So that's going to be a, a very big challenge for us. So MDS, they are talking about the, the 6 a.m. start. I mean, they're just going to have to get on with it. But basically, you're looking at the white caps, have a two-day turnaround. From finishing a game, assuming there's no more weather delays, they're playing a game that's going to start at 10.30, finish 12, 15, 12.30, the time they get dressed, do media, get out of that, drive back to the hotel... Then they have to get their body clocks switched from this routine that they'd planned for all these games at that time to suddenly getting up early and being ready for a game at 9am. I mean, it's ridiculous. Three days notice to do that. Three games in eight days. It feels like the, the Whitecaps have been hit hard by this. And I know other teams have got some impact and stuff as well, like TFC being one of them. But that's that's tough, tough, tough especially for a depleted team as well. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't do them any favors. But again, if you're MLS, I don't think they feel super bad because you're dealing with two teams that have had to leave because of the virus. And I think you're also looking at Vancouver as not a contender. So they don't feel like they're hurting a contender. Uh, you know, the, it's not one of, their, you know, not one of the, the, the ones that we normally look at and say, oh, MLS favors them, right? Like Vancouver is one of the forgotten clubs in MLS. And so... Why would they care about them with his scheduling? Very true. But we heard from MDS there from the conference call he had on Friday. I got a chance to, to sit down with him in his hotel room. Not literally, because I'm not down in Florida. And I would not want to be down in Florida. Had a good in-depth chat with Mark on Saturday morning. We're going to bring you that after this. Hi, I'm Derek Cornelius and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Posture. 
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. That was Nirvana, with a song from their 1993 In Utero album, That Was Penny Royal Tea. That was also the first of tonight's songs in our Three of a Kind section. If you haven't listened to the show before, or if you just need a refresher... At the starts of part 3, 4 and 5, we're going to be playing three songs that are going to be linked in some way. Your job is to try and work out what that link might be, and we'll give you the answer after we play the song that kicks off part 5. So, back to the MLS chat now, and we we talked about the Whitecaps in in the first part. Certainly not going to be easy for them down in Orlando on a number of levels. The weather... The changing of the the timings of the matches, depleted squad, trying to get back to kicking a ball in anger after four months out of the game. There's just so many things, and I know it's affecting other teams as well, but just so many things that you feel is going against it, the Whitecaps just now, that if they can get through these group games into the knockout round, that in itself feels like it would be a, a massive achievement. But we've got MDS on a, a Zoom call. Just to talk about everything about the tournament, what's life like in the bubble? How prepared is the team for everything that's going to be thrown at them, from the weather to the lack of attack and uh, a lot more things beside? So as always, Mark was very honest and open, dealt with everything that we threw at him. And I find it like very interesting, a great insight into what life is like in the bubble. Hopefully you will as well. So grab your hot beverage of choice, a chocolate digestive, or your other biscuit of choice. Sit back and enjoy our chat with Mark DeSantos. Mark, I guess, first thing that I'll ask you, I had a chat with a couple of different coaches yesterday. So I asked Peter Vermees this and I asked Greg Vanny this as well. What is your day-to-day routine like right now? in the bubble what's an average day like for you from when you get up to when you go to bed we train at night so we let's say training in average is around nine nine o'clock um so because of that i tend to go to bed really late um it's not normal uh back in vancouver i wake up around 6 a.m and go to bed around 9 30 p.m uh, that's my my life in Vancouver. I get up early and go to bed early. Here it's been the opposite. I wake up a little bit later, like maybe around 10 o'clock, but also going to bed around 1, 2 a.m. Uh, and that is, uh, that is the change for me. Uh, we always have things to do <clears throat> preparing to training. Um, and we, what we do a lot is a lot of video preparation for meetings, preparing the training session. Yesterday was the day off, but I had a meeting, I had individual meeting with with David, uh, with Baldi, with Pechile, with Simon, with Pat Metcalf, uh, with Rusty, with Ali. So I took that day off to meet individually uh, with some players. Um, so the, the day always becomes full until you get to training. Then inside that day, after lunch, it's the time where I... De- the lunch is around 3 o'clock. After lunch, I would say it's the time where I relax a little bit or go to 
or go to the gym for about an hour, um, read, watch a show, and then a few hours before training, we meet again in the in the the staff lounge, and we go through the last details of training to get in the bus, go to training. Um, after training, the 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 team meal, and then the process of trying to to go back to your room and 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 go to bed. I haven't went outside once, so All right. I I didn't know there was a beach here. Uh, I hadn't seen that sand yet, so it's. Uh, I'm thinking I have to go out eventually get some vitamin D, but I, I haven't. I haven't. I've been inside all the, the way. Yeah, Peter said that it, it can be quite lonely, and he said just now it's okay, but once you're three four weeks into this, if you're in for the whole tournament, he said it's really going to be testing for for people because I guess it does kind of feel it feels a safe atmosphere but I guess it also feels like it's kind of not in a prison as such but you've got a lot of what you just take for granted not there anymore I look I went when I coached San Francisco team I went twice to participate in uh, doing training session with uh, with inmates in St. Quentin oh wow yeah, it was an incredible experience, but I have a very good, I understood there what prison is. Mm. They, they, they come out one hour to the yard and then they stay 23 hours inside, locked alone. So for me to use the word prison is so not right, I feel. People said it before. Um, this is like a prison. It's so selfish and it's because you don't know what prison is and i don't like to use that word hmm. uh but I, I i use the word it's it's weird i i can't touch people and i'm very this is very part in my blood i'm a, there's this latin side that comes from my mom and dad and we hug each other and i like to see friends and i have to say tell i i avoid seeing people downstairs i don't want to see people that I know so much from the, the, the soccer world, I had to apologize to, to people saying, hey, I'm sorry, I can't even shake your hand. And, and they go, no, we understand we're all in the same boat. So living a life like that, that's weird. I agree with Peter that it could get lonely. Um, our, our staff is really good because we like to be with each other, uh, starting with the coaching staff, Axel, the media people, um, everybody, the medical staff, we like to be with each other. So I think it's important in a moment like that, that you have a club with good people because it, it, it's easier to pass the time. Um, we have conversations of all kinds. We have conversations at night on politics, on movies, on religion, because you like to be with people. Uh, it would be harder if you're in a group where you can't stand each other. Yeah. Then, then it, makes, it makes it longer. But uh, what I've noticed is players are in their 20s in average, right? You say a soccer team is between tw that bracket between 20 and 30 years old. And with time, it develops some tension to stay inside, not seeing friends, not not being allowed to go out, not seeing the girlfriend, 
uh, or the colorful friend, whatever you want to call wife, kids. And then it develops tension that what I felt is in training, sometimes that tension is there because that's the day-to-day. And I think it's going to become more and more uh, with games, with a player starting, others not starting, with frustrations, with the fact you're inside and communicating and talking with coaches that have been near longer than us. That's the feedback. You know, we have in training, we're always playing against each other. We know each other. There's not that Saturday game to break the routine. It's, uh, it, it's becoming long, that process. So we've, we've seen some more aggressive tackles that have to come down. We've seen uh, some outbursts sometimes. And I understand that because it's really the stage where we are at, Nothing that will happen here will give me a real evaluation. Nothing. Because it's not a real world we're living here in this tournament. It's not the reality of of football. At the end, what we might say is, hey, this young player showed well. Our team showed um, a a good mentality a good character in this moment yeah you're going to have that type of evaluation but always behind your head has to be but it wasn't a real setup in the sense it's not a reality of a league it's 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 weird Uh, it's weird to be here yeah I, I mean everyone all the players all the coaches that have done calls so far that I've been on they've all talked that they feel safe everything feels secure etc etc but then yesterday you've got Sporting Kansas City have a positive test when you hear something like that does that then kind of send some kind of shock waves or anxiety through the group I, I don't know with the players yet we didn't have that conversation no players came to me talking about the situation of Sporting Kansas City or asking questions about it. Uh, we, we do feel safe, but we just have to keep being careful with everything yeah. we do. Because, uh, you know, we're still going to make hear of a positive case. So you, it's safe, but you cannot control everything. You, you just need a cleaning lady in one moment to touch something and then you you have a little percentage of chance of touching, I don't know, an apple even, or a bottle of water. It, it's tough to say, yes, it's protected. Yes, we're in a bubble. Yes, we, see, we feel safe. But to say that it's impossible, that nothing comes in, no, it's, it would be very irresponsible to say that. The weather so far, the... I've watched all the games. The The games that's been starting at 8 o'clock, I have to still try and work out the times. The ones that are starting at 8 o'clock there, the players, they just look drenched after like five minutes. It just looks awful. Totally, totally, totally. Uh, that's why I, you know, how real is it, the evaluation of everything here? That's that's my point. Uh it's, it's hard. And yesterday you saw with the Seattle uh, and San Jose game, mm. a lot of cramps, guys coming out injured. Uh, it was the risk to take. Teams are not prepared to play. We are playing, but we are playing with the, our emotional side or 
uh, going uh, to dig inside the tank everything we have, um, our, our personality and character side and our competitive side. But to say that teams are ready to play at a high level, no, we're there, no team. It's not true. You cannot say that. Um, you know, you're 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 having teams like Seattle that yesterday was their first game, and it's going to be similar to us or San Jose. That you go from almost now five months that your first game is a competitive game for three points. You go mm-hmm. all in. No exhibition games in between. Not allowed to to do a lot of things between each other. It just started maybe a month ago. So you, it is a challenge then to go without warming up your car and you go straight into the race. It's a little bit that. So that's going to bring injuries and fatigue and games that become open and more scoring opportunities, more mistakes, more lack of concentration. That's going to be all there. I'd asked you a couple of weeks ago about what the thunderstorm situation was. So I, I was on a call with Matt Beasler yesterday and he he mentioned that a couple of days ago there was a meeting with the, the competitive committee and that if a game gets to 60 minutes and then after that there's a thunderstorm, the result stands. Did, if you know then that there's a thunderstorm in the area... Is that going to affect how you might go for the game? You might go all out right from the start to try and get an early goal. But then if that happens and then the storm doesn't come. Yeah. Yeah. We had that conversation between the staff and we said we have to be the team that's up in the first 60 minutes. Yeah. That's our, our objective is to always be up in the first 60 minutes to always have the lead or not being down in the score or you're tied or you're up in the 60 minutes. And then we had that talk already between mm-hmm. the staff and, and very close, maybe two days, 48 hours before the game, we'll have again that talk uh, with the players. But I don't think that has to condition the way you play. You shouldn't be looking for a goal because you know that something could happen at minute 60 or you should go for the goal because of the way you play and the mentality of the team and the way you want to project your team. You want to go for the goal because of that and not because of a possible thunderstorm. So we want to start in the front foot and we want to start going at the opponent, creating chances and putting ourselves in a position to win. The way that you want the team to play, high press, like going for it, there's a danger, I guess, that especially in the first game, the guys you touched up in training, they're going to be so fired up that they just they run themselves out maybe early on. I guess that's the message you're going to be getting across to them as well. Just watch what you do. No, it's going to be a lot of, yes, yes, we want to be aggressive, but we right now we're evaluating of when do we want to be aggressive, how, with who, what moments. So you might see pockets of the game where we're, we're high and we're putting pressure on the opponent and you're going to see other pockets that we don't want to get stretched, open up. What we, we say a lot is first we set and then we press. So for us to start our pressing moment, we have to be set first. Uh, and, and for that, there's, there might be pockets in the game that we look set for a good amount of time 
so we manage our energy to become aggressive again. Um, so, so that part, because of the humidity that we felt a lot, and in training we feel it's harder to do that type of game. There's no doubt, it's harder. You said on the call yesterday, your dream result from Seattle San Jose was going to be a draw. So you got that. What what did you make of the game? It was a it was an interesting one. I thought watching it from here, the aggression that you touched on was like incredible. We haven't seen that in one of the games so far. But just in general, it seemed like although there was no goals, it was a lot. It was more intense than a lot of the other games have been. You know, when you play San Jose. You play a team that is uh, clearly a men-marking team all over the field. And uh, Matias was like that with Chivas, mm-hmm. and he brought it to San Jose, and he's very, he's a big believer in what he does. Um, you can agree or not, but I think it's very honorable the way he sticks to it, and I respect that a lot from him. Um, and that brings an intensity to the game. Uh, that brings a lot of chaos that brings an open game because all your players are being, are being men marked individually. Uh, so you have to be careful how you play those short passes that right away could be stolen uh, and right away put San Jose in a, in a good position. But then the important against a team like that is how much do, can they take you away from your own identity? Because it's so chaotic that if you fall in that chaos as a team, then you, you, you don't find anymore your, um, your, your references. You don't find your references anymore because you're playing a team that does the total opposite from you. We're, we're a team that plays zonal marking. Uh, Seattle has similar things in their defensive shape. But then you play against a team that defensively they play Myanmar, total opposite. So then you don't want to find yourself um, in a position where it becomes chaos and then you lose your references. So I think yesterday's game had a little bit of that, had a little bit of that chaos. So that brings a lot of the intensity into the game. There's a lot of 1v1 situation. You have to get away from the 1v1 situation. You have to break the first line of pressure and then play in behind them. And that stretches the game. And that's what happened yesterday. Uh, A lot of high speed running from the players. Um, That's maybe what brought some injuries and cramps because players right now at this stage are not ready to do those amount of high speed running. Um, So, so that was my thought about, uh, about the game. And, some players from Seattle that have shown in history that they could be key and big difference makers in MLS take a little bit of time to get going, you know, by their profile. So maybe they're, they're not, no, they're like San Jose and like everyone. They, nobody's at their, at their peak right now. I, I jumped on the, the call with Matthias after the, the match and I asked him how he felt going into this game on Wednesday. Did he feel that they had an advantage because they've experienced the conditions or would you guys have the advantage because because you were fresher? 
and he said he didn't really know. He thinks it's still an even thing. Do you feel that is an advantage, though, for them with their players now having experienced that? He seemed to indicate he might use his squad a bit more in this next match, but, I mean, you guys are going in fresh in one regard. I I really think that... Uh, I really, really think that it's an advantage to, to have played a game. I thought so uh, too, yeah. Because when you are f- almost five months without playing a different opponent, than your teammates in training without feeling a reality of a game. What's going to be key is our first 30 minutes because our first 30 minutes might mean a lot for us in that game. There's a team that is already played a game, already got that off of their back, uh, already felt the day, the day game and, and referees and linesmen and everything. And there's a team that is getting back at it. So I don't think it's going to make a difference for the full 90 minutes, but it is an advantage for the first 30 minutes. That's how I would put it. I'm not going to ask you again about the striker situation because you've been asked about that a lot and you've talked a lot about it. But you could, I'm okay with that. Well, I I talk about it every day. I know, I guess. I mean, when did you know? that they weren't going to be coming? I mean, have you had a lot of time to prepare for everything that you were doing? No. So not even at training you couldn't prepare? Like, before you left? Right. No. I I had, had I started preparing what we would do when we arrived there. Right. So I couldn't prepare in Vancouver. The reason was there was still question marks. It, it was very clear with the Freddy, on Freddie's side. That I knew maybe three weeks ago it was it was clear that i knew the because freddie was sharing a lot of personal things from me and to me and i respect him a lot and i respect the decision so i had an idea about freddie with with kava and toss no the talks were especially with kava the talks were were daily and it was him I was feeling and him having doubts of going and we were talking a lot about it. I never put a pressure on him. Uh, in training, I used them more um, in both teams, you know, sometimes, sometimes with the starting lineup, sometimes with the other side because it was still a doubt. We were preparing everything all the time in a 4-4-2, the same way we've built the, the, the team for this season using... Um, toss with Cav or Reina with Cav and so on. Um, then when maybe, you know, very little before we left, it was confirmed that, okay, Cav is not going to be in. So we went back into the 4-3-3 with Toss Ricketts and we started working on some dynamics with it. Um, and then 48 hours before the trip, 48 hours, our doctors uh, let us know about toss. So then you said, look, uh, let's not, let's not touch the fourth situation. We'll work with our solutions when we get there. So now it's, it's not a, a secret that it's a, it's big pieces for us because mm-hmm. What what you guys don't see it's the day to day locker room and and leadership side. You know, Kava, Toss, Andy Rose, they bring 
that kind of older vibe and experience that is needed. And we're a really young team. Yesterday I was calculating our starting lineup um, against San Jose might average 22-something, 23 years old. Wow. In the, in the bench, you see very young players. And, and when you see, talk about Pat Metcalf, Simon Coline, Damiano Pecile, Michael Baldissimo, uh, Theo Bear, you, you, you see a young, even uh, the options of center back, uh, Derek, 21, Ranko, 20, Kimiri, 22, 21. And it, it, so you need these, it, these players to, to hold the rest together by their age, by their experience. So it, that was hard. But once I, there was a moment that w- there was so many doubts and back and forth that I told my staff, guys, let's get on the plane. We evaluate then who's in the plane and then we start working our first game in Orlando. And that's what we, we started to do. I was going to ask about the leadership because obviously there isn't a lot of the older guys there. But at the same time as well, squad depth. You've talked before when we chatted about you don't necessarily need to use a lot of players in a tournament format to to do well. Do you feel you've got the depth now, though? And by depth, I I don't mean in terms of quality, but just in players that you feel you can really, really rely on to go deep in this tournament without running some of these guys into the ground, especially maybe at, like, centre-back position. With with, uh, the five players that didn't travel... If they're 100% it affected the quality of the depth. That's There's no doubt that that was affected. Um, I think what, what we have in our depth is very young players with energy. But to answer you how far it could take us, we'll see. It, what I believe, there could be some surprises in this tournament. There could be some players that are revealed, players that people don't know very well. People don't know very well uh, Leo Ousso. People don't know it very well Genio Bikel or Christian Dajome or David Milinkovic. And they don't know very well, well Ryan Raposo, Ranko. A kid like Guti also. Uh, so so there's, there's, there's these players that are still a question mark in the league or who are they? that I think they're going to reveal themselves in this tournament. Um, for us to go far, though, we're going to have to run them to the ground. Yeah. If we want to have a chance to go far, we're going to have to run a lot of them to the ground. Yeah, I was expecting that was probably what you were, you were going to say. We talked yesterday about the, this early morning game. So you're going from the extremes, 9 a.m. start, 10.30 p.m., when was the last time you coached a game at either of those times? Or have you ever coached a game at 9 a.m.? I did. 9 a.m., uh, it was 9.30 kickoff when I coached a youth team of Palmeiras. Last time that I coached in the morning was 2012. So it's not, not too, too different. I mean, it's going to be weird for you, I guess, as well. Like when, I, when I spoke to Peter, as I said at the start... He said he's getting up at 4.45 in the morning to get everything ready to get the guys out early for that session. I mean, if you're having to maybe make a switch like that, how do you... I know I asked you this yesterday, but in three days, how on earth can your body get used to that? 
no, our first day is going to be impossible because we we also going to have to wake up around 5, 5 a.m. But yeah. what I want is, I told my staff, we have, it's, we have to have the recovery in our head. I don't want us to arrive in training. The staff brings the energy to the session. You can arrive to the training uh, dead. So me, I'm more of preparing the night before. I'm more making sure that we wake up as late as we can. And for that to happen and to have, because I really believe in sleep and the recovery process, the only way it happens is that you let everything ready the night before. If you don't have, if you don't want to have everything ready the night before, so you'll probably have to wake up really early. Mm. So our staff is going to have, um, we decided to do all the work the night before for that session that's going to be in the morning um, and have all the game prepared the night, the night before. So we allowed the players and the staff to stay in bed as much as they can and not go from living a life of waking up at 10 a.m. and going to bed at 2 a.m. From now, you're waking up at 5 a.m. and you're going to, <laughs> to bed, I don't know, at, uh, at 9 uh, it's yeah. it's a big change. Yeah, I I know me personally. I'm not a morning person just in general, but I I don't think I could get used to that in such a short period of time. The the last thing, and if you don't want to answer this, it's fine because I don't want to get you fined because I know how touchy they are and stuff. But we, we've talked before about what the TV broadcast might look like. What have you made of the the production so far? Because I, I'm hating the big Adidas in the center circle. It's just driving me absolutely nuts. It's, uh, no, I don't think it's, I, I'm, I get fine if I, if I say that, I'm going to be honest, if I say that I don't like it either. I don't like the Adidas in the middle. But it's nothing against Adidas. Yeah. Adidas is their main <laughs> sponsor. I only wear Adidas. I love Adidas material. I love everything about Adidas. And, uh, even before being in MLS, I, I bought Adidas. So it's a it's the brand that I like the most in soccer and sports. I wear Copa Mundials almost all my life, um, but it it doesn't change the fact that I don't like the Adidas logo in the middle for the game. Uh, for the rest, I think they've done a really good job hmm. to put this together in in so such a short amount of time. We're tested every two days. I, I, I still think, how can you have all the team organized by floors, all the meal rooms, this, all the training sessions, the details with water, with the bus, how can they put that together in two months? It, it is impressive. How, how the, they did the best they can. MLS did the best they can with ESPN to have the setup. Uh, for the games and broadcasting. So I think it's a really good job there. Now, the only thing I would say that I don't like, it's what you said. I don't like the Adidas logo but uh, in the middle, but if you would take that out, I think it's it's very good inside the reality that is given to us. It, it, it's very hard to do better than what they did. Interestingly, I saw the UK stream and they they don't have that in the middle of the pitch. It's only over in North America that we have it. So if they wanted, they could easily get rid of it. 
Yeah, but it's uh, it's also a major supporter of, uh, yeah, of MLA. I know. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today, Mark. I know you're doing a lot of these and it must get a bit boring just staring at computer screens, but it's nice to see you face-to-face again on a, uh, one of our calls. Uh, good luck. Take care. Have a good day and try and stay cool. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Mark. Great stuff, as always, from MDS there. Really appreciate him giving the time to me because he's been doing so much media, as all the, the teams have been down there just now. And I'm sure you must just get sick of looking at TV screens or laptop screens, phone screens, just doing all these Zoom calls. But as always, very open and honest with his answers there, just says it as it is. He knows it's going to be a, a difficult challenge for the Whitecaps. He feels the team's up for it. We'll find out on Wednesday just how ready this team is. I do feel San Jose has got a bit of an advantage going in with this. They might still have tired legs from it from the game on Friday night, but they have experienced what it is like out there. The Whitecaps have only done that in training, and it's a very different animal as well. And for the Whitecaps, having their first game, having a depleted squad, they just can't afford to go out there all guns blazing and let the adrenaline take over because they're going to be knackered in no time. And the kind of game that San Jose play, they're going to like man-mark, it's going to be zonal marking. It's going to be an interesting encounter. You feel the Whitecaps' best chance is maybe to hit on the counter and not give up too much possession though. And it's finding that balance because San Jose enjoyed a lot of possession against Seattle on Friday night. Couldn't do anything with it. A draw certainly would not be a, a bad result, especially with Seattle and San Jose drawing their first match. But we'll see how it all plays out on Wednesday. We might do a, a special post-game live show on YouTube. It's something we've talked about. Haven't totally confirmed it yet. Might start it off with Zach and Steve, because I might have to do the post-game stuff. But just keep a, a note on our social media channels, AFT in Canada on Twitter, AFT in Canada on Facebook, and we'll let you know if that is happening. Now, at the end of my chat with Mark, I kind of joked that... I may or may not be on the conference call that he's got on Monday. I'd asked him all my questions, but I said, who knows what tomorrow will bring? There might be a lot more to talk about. And, of course, sod's law, there is. There's been a scheduling change for the Whitecaps, tying into everything around TFC, DC United and Montreal that we kind of touched on in part two. The Whitecaps' first game of the tournament on Wednesday has been brought forward. No official reason has been given, but I think it's looking pretty obvious that the reason is with Toronto and Montreal not taking place at the 5pm kickoff, 8pm Orlando time on Wednesday evening, there's a gap in the television schedules. And the Whitecaps have been asked to plug that gap, bringing their game forward from the scheduled 10.30pm time in Orlando to now 9pm Orlando time, 6pm Pacific. So make sure you've got that in your diary. The game has been brought forward by an hour and a half. Disappointing. Annoying. It means the Whitecaps, after having an initial schedule where all their games were going to kick off at the same time, now have three different kickoff times. 
This one isn't going to be too hard an adjustment for them because most of their training sessions have been taking place at, at 6.30pm Pacific time or 9.30pm Orlando time. So it's not going to be too much different to what they've been used to training wise. But I mean, it's still annoying. It's still messing things around. And if you needed any further proof that this whole tournament was basically because of television and money, here you go. But that is it for this part. We will be back talking more Whitecaps as we sit down with a man who has a great opportunity to seize the moment, make a name for himself and show just what he can mean to this Whitecaps team in this tournament, homegrown player Theo Bear, and we'll be back with our chat with him after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Raposo and you're listening to the AFTN Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. Kicking off this part, that was Beat Happening, cult American band from the late 80s and early 90s, with a song taken from their fourth studio album, Dreamy, that was Hot Chocolate Boy. And that was the second of tonight's Three of a Kind songs. We kicked off part three with Penny Royal Tea by Nirvana. Kicking off this part... Hot Chocolate Boy by Beat Happening. Have you worked out what the link might be yet? And if you have worked out what the link is, can you guess what the song is that's going to kick off part five? Find out soon. Now, as we talked about earlier in the show, the big, big talking point from the, the Whitecaps' point of view this week was their travelling roster to Orlando. Missing five players, including four very key players that you would have had to have think would have been starters in this tournament. Freddie Montero, Lucas Cavallini, Andy Rose and Tosain Ricketts, along with young homegrown player George Mukambilwa. It's a big loss. It's a big blow for the team. And we, we talked with, with Mark there about what that means for squad depth and being able to maybe switch players out, not try it and run people on the ground. And it's going to be tough. And the... The longer the Whitecaps stay in this tournament in Orlando, it's going to start to take a toll on the players that are maybe playing more regularly than they maybe would have if you had the chance of switching them out with some other more experienced guys. But what that does mean for the Whitecaps is it's an opportunity for a number of these young guys to to kind of step up to the plate and kind of show what they can do, try and impress Mark DeSantis, show that they deserve to be regularly in the first team mix, the game day 18 mix. 
and with five subs in every game, you kind of have to feel that some of them are definitely going to get more runouts than they maybe would have in the past, especially with these players missing. I mean, you're looking at the likes of Patrick Medcalf, Simon Coline, Michael Baldissimo, even in the midfield. They could all get some time that you maybe would not have expected them to, to get in this tournament, even just a, a week to 10 days ago. But it, it's up front. I think that we're we're going to see the biggest impact with obviously these guys missing out. You're losing three very big key pieces in the attack. Not having Cavallini, Montero, and Ricketts there, the goal threat is massively reduced. Mardisantis has talked about it. He doesn't really have an out and out striker. Theo Bear can play that a little bit, but he's kind of better suited to to being on the wing. He has played both positions for the residency. If you're looking at a front three, you might be looking at Reyna, Milinkovic on one side, Dahomey on the other to start games, with Ryan Raposo and Theo Bear coming off the bench. And this tournament, I think, is a, a great platform for both Raposo and Bear to really show what they can do and, and kind of seize their moment that, that has been presented to them. Raposo, as we know, grabbed an assist when he made his debut in the second game of the season, which seems about five years ago now, back in March. That 1-0 win down at the LA Galaxy. Theo Bear hasn't made an appearance in the the first two games so far, but there's no doubt in my mind that these two guys are going to be very key pieces for the Whitecaps in Orlando. Coming off the bench with the pace and the skill that they've got, running at tired defenders late in the game, could be an absolutely massive tactical ploy for the Whitecaps later on in these games. And Theo Bear, we've seen it so much in his time with the academy. We've seen it when he's been away with Canada at the Toulon tournament. He really raises his games when it comes to playoff time, when it comes to cup competitions. There's, there's just something, a switch in him that just switches on and brings his game to another level. And I think he could be the standout star for the Whitecaps, him and Raposo in fact, during this tournament in Orlando. So I got a chance to chat with Theo on Saturday afternoon just to to find out what bubble life is like for him as a player, what he's expecting from this tournament, the conditions, everything that's gone with it, and a little bit of chat as well about all the Black Lives Matters demonstrations and, and show of unity that we've been seeing at the tournament so far, and a lot more besides. So grab another hot beverage and another chocolate digestive, sit back and enjoy my chat. With Whitecaps forward, Theo Bear. So, Theo, first thing to ask you, really, I, I've chatted to a couple of, of coaches down there. We've kind of found out what their day-to-day life's been like in the, bu- in the bubble. Haven't asked any of the players yet. So, as a player, what is your average day like just now, from when you get up to when you go to bed? I mean, what, what's it like down there? I mean, it started out kind of weird because we were training really late. Um, so we were waking up late as well, probably around 10.30-ish, wake up, um, then not get together, go eat breakfast. Um, once you're done breakfast, you <laughs> go back to your room and you're just kind of like, okay, what do I do now? You mm-hmm. figure out what you're going to do, maybe play some games, maybe read a book. Uh, it varies kind of. and then. Once you've done that, lunch comes by kind of quickly. You go back down, you gather around, you go eat lunch. Um, then we have testing probably either before or after lunch. And then you go back to your room and then you have to figure out what you're going to do again. Probably call my family. Um, 
talk to them for a bit just to pass the time and say hi, see what's going on there. Um, uh, maybe see what my teammates are up to. And then, yeah, um, then uh, go train at 7 and not 9.30 anymore. 7 seven's actually a pretty good time. It's blazing hot. Um, but, yeah, go and go enjoy training and then come back home. And by the time you get home, you're all every – fluid that was in your body just exited through sweat so you're so tired and you fall asleep and you repeat yeah watching the the first few games the ones that kick off at eight there like the the players they seem five minutes and it's like absolutely drenched through what what is that like then to have to then play a game where i'm assuming you you, you'll be changing like shirts at half time and stuff but what's it like to be just soaking wet right from the start See, I was actually talking to the teammates about this the other day. You start, you notice the sweat at the beginning, you're constantly wiping your face, but once you start getting into it, you forget about it and you don't even okay. think about it. And then, and then once you stop at, I assume at halftime, then that's when you're going to go, okay, now I got to change again because it's kind of, it's kind of gross to, to be running around in that. Yeah. I mean, have you, how familiar are you in playing in, in these kind of editions? Because I know you, you've traveled around the world with the Whitecaps and with Canada I mean, have you played in things as intense as this? Yeah, I um, a couple times. the The first time was actually here. I came to Florida. We come to Florida every uh, like end of the year, Christmas time ish, with the academy. So uh, we'd have our Florida tournament here and play three games here. But uh, and that was the middle of the day, so we yeah. were we were right in it. And then um, the other time, and this was the worst time ever. I went to Kansas for playoffs. And that was probably the worst heat I've ever been involved in. It was like really, really, really hot. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And I, I spoke to Mark about this this morning. So, like training, everything was set. You had your evening games. Everything was like looking fine. Everything was planned for your routine from eating to sleeping to training. Then all of a sudden, Dallas are out. You've got Chicago. You've got a, a 9 a.m. game. And at three days turnaround as well, having finished a match at like half past midnight, then you've got to get back to the hotel on whatever day of the week it is, Sunday. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a short turnaround. It's like as a footballer, can your body adjust to that so quickly? Or is it or basically, are you just going to be drained for that third game? I mean, I, I don't want to to make excuses. I think that, that we will do everything possible to make sure that we're ready for the game. It sucks that it's happening, but um, I think that, that our, our staff will make sure that we're prepared and, and will put us in the right situations. I guess as well, you don't know, like getting into the knockout rounds, you might end up with games at that time as well. So, I mean, it's going to be good, good kind of practice for you. Have you watched many of the games so far that's been on down there? I mean, what's your what's your thoughts off it? Some of them, the first half in particular, it's kind of seemed a little bit patchy. The game, though, between San Jose and Seattle, both teams seemed to really go for it from the start, and I think that kind of took its toll as well later on in the game. Yeah, that was a very, very high-paced game and throughout the whole thing. It was interesting to watch, and I think uh, I think San Jose kind of brought the heat and, and made it so that Seattle had to had to change some things of the way they play because the, with the way that San Jose plays, they, they don't stop pressing. They just keep going at you. So it was interesting to see them do that in this heat and then, and, and almost maintain it for 90 minutes. It was uh, respect to them for that. But um, 
yeah, it was a very high-paced game. It was interesting to watch. Yeah, I, I jumped on the call with Matias Almeida after the game, and I was asking him, does he feel that they've got an advantage now because they've played a game, or do, do we have the advantage because we're coming in fresh? Marks like me, I asked him this as well, he feels that they've got an advantage because they've experienced it, but he didn't seem to think that. He seemed to think you're both going in on a level playing field. But they must have a bit of an advantage knowing exactly what it's like. I guess to a certain extent, but it's it goes both ways, you know what I mean? You could you could say, oh, now my players are all going to be drained and tired, and you, then you could also say, oh, Whitecaps haven't played a game, so uh, they're not going to be ready. They're going to get shocked by us kind of thing, so... Um, I don't think that that, uh, that you can even put your finger on it. I think that we're just going to have to wait until game day, and, and I think it's going to be a good one. I mean, it's going to be tough as well, going four months without playing a, a competitive game. I mean, training, intra-squad games, I mean, that's one thing. But to then go now into a match after after four months, no one's going to really know what it's like until you're on the pitch. But do, do you feel just how your body's feeling just now that you're good to go right from the off? Or do you think things will be a bit slower to kind of get into the feel of it? Yeah, I think that adjusting to the heat is a, is a real thing. And I don't think it takes three days or four days to adjust to heat. I think it takes a, probably a solid week or even more. But um, I think that, that it'll during a game, there's a bunch of other factors that are coming into play as well. So it, it'll be it'll be a lot to, to take in for everyone. But again, it's it's kind of like the sweat thing. Once you get into it, the, you forget about all, all the things that are stopping you and you just play. You must just be delighted, though, to actually now have the chance to play football again. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm really happy that we're playing. It's been it's been way too long. This is a, a big chance for you as well at the tournament here. We know all the guys that haven't travelled. So many of them seem to be in the attack. I mean, this just seems like the ideal showcase for you now. Whether it's like as a starter, whether it's coming off the bench and using that pace maybe for the last half hour or something. I mean, do you see this as a, as a great opportunity to kind of... I, I don't want to say put yourself in the shop window because that sounds like you're looking for a, a transfer, but it's a chance for you to, to show Mark, look, this is what I can bring to this team. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that, uh, that I have a, a big opportunity ahead of me. And again, like you said, whether it comes starting or off the bench, it, it doesn't really matter. I just, I just want to play and, and, and show what I can do. And I've known you for a, a number of years now. Through the residency, in the playoffs, you were always, you rose to the occasion. You seemed to thrive in that. Away with Canada at Toulon, you, you did that as well. This is basically a tournament. What is it about these games that just brings the, the best out of you? Uh I think uh, when when there's so much at stake, and I know that there's a, there's an ultimate goal with the team, I, I something kind of turns on for me. I, I I love competition, as I've, I've spoken about before. Mm. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to turn on this this competition switch in my head for for all games, but um, the tournament setting is just exciting for me because um, coming coming from Ottawa and from a small club. We didn't do many tournaments. We we just played our league games, and then that was it. So once I came to Whitecaps and we started playing tournaments and all that, it was exciting for me. It was something different and something I'd never done before. So I guess there's a there's an excitement factor as well that that plays into it. 
talking about Canada, I don't think we've had you on the show since you, you made the, the two appearances in January. What was that like for you getting your senior caps and scoring as well in your debut? I mean, how special was that moment? Uh, unbelievable. It was, again, uh, another uh, moment that I won't forget. My my family was un- incredibly proud. My my dad had tears after call- calling me and it was it's very exciting because that's again it's a dream of mine to to be able to score for my country and I, I did it in my first game and and it, yeah it felt really really good and the the olympics there's every chance you would have been away at, at the qualifying and no one really knows what's happening now but this feels like at under 23 level at senior team level this is just such an exciting canadian group of players just now i agree yeah um we have a really really good couple of generations coming up the the older generation is teaching the younger and everybody wants the same goal we all want to participate in the world cup so um yeah everyone's like really committed and, and really driven and it's it's a it's a competitive atmosphere which is really good for the country to finish off just to change the tone completely Obviously, down there at the tournament in Orlando, there's been all the Black Lives Matters protests and the, the Black Players Union that, that's cropped up and everything like that. The opening game, like that 8 minute 46 second silence and the show of unity, it, it from watching, like it was so emotional and powerful and raw and I know you were on the pitch with some of your teammates. What, what was that moment like for you on the pitch? I mean... It- I, I can't really explain it even. It was it was something that I, I felt deep inside of me because um, I got to stand on the field with, with uh, a bunch of brothers and, and people that were unified to, with the same message. And it, it was it was almost surreal that it was happening. It was it's something that I hope is a is a stepping stone to much more and, and that people will, will will keep that in their minds for a while because is really important. Everything with with this, and I know yourself and others, you've talked about like educating people, and it's like people like myself. I've come to Canada. I I'm an immigrant, but obviously I'm a white immigrant, so I have never faced the kind of things that a lot of other people have faced growing up in in Ottawa. Even being here in Vancouver, is it something you have experienced that a lot of personally? I wouldn't say a lot, but I've definitely experienced it. Um, I've had uh, people say things that are that are very uncomfortable to me, um, such as I don't know, like monkey noises or or things like that. And it's just um, once it happens, you don't you don't exactly process it. You just kind of like wait, what what like what just happened? And then afterwards, it kind of hits you, and you're like, that 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 stuff really happens. People really think that way. And um, yeah, I, I, I believe in educating people like for me to another person, but I also believe that people need to educate themselves and, and take the time to learn because um, it's, it, it was almost not funny, but like unbelievably interesting to see how many people didn't know that racism was such a big thing still. And yeah. That's shocking to me because I, I, I couldn't even believe that people don't know that, you know what I mean? So um yeah, I think people need to take the time and and reflect on themselves and and think. Wait, am I being ignorant and not understanding the world? Because there's there's things that are much bigger than their little bubble and and, and just 
living on on their social media platforms and stuff like that. People need to start speaking and start thinking and start reading and learning things because there's there's a lot going on. Yeah, and I, I'll readily admit I was one of those ignorant people because I am in my own little bubble and like growing up in Scotland, I had a couple of Indian friends, but that that was basically it. And then when you come here, folk are always saying, oh, there's no racism in Canada. It's an American thing. And then you're seeing all this now and you're like, I mean, it's opened my eyes and I, I feel terrible because it's something that I, I, I just didn't really think about going on. But I mean, what, what needs to change in football, do you feel, to try and eradicate this from football at all levels, youth and senior? Again, it's it's about education and it's about awareness. Um, I think that not only do people need to educate themselves, but leagues need to come together and and make big stances on on racism and make sure that it's that it's I don't want to say plastered, but it, that it's that it's there that people know about it, that people are aware of the things that are happening, and that once something does happen, they make a great effort to 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 stop whatever has happened. You know what I mean? I've, I've heard of numerous times where guys like Moise Keane or Balotelli have been, uh, get yeah. bananas thrown at them and things like that. And barely any punishment to the, to the person that does it. And that, that's not good enough. I don't think that's good enough from, from a country standpoint, from a league standpoint, from a team standpoint. I think, I think people just need to do better. Absolutely. L- last thing touched off about what life in the bubble was like. And when I spoke to Peter Vermees, he said it, it can get kind of lonely. You talked about how you're talking with your parents and I'm assuming you'll be ch- having lots of chats with the players, whether in person or on Facebook or WhatsApps and all those kind of things. But has being away from home at an early age and like traveling around with the Whitecaps and everything, has that kind of prepared you a bit better for this than maybe some of the other guys? I'd say so. I when I've uh, I learned to to be independent from a young age, fifteen is a very young age to leave home, and the first year that you're in a billet house, you're not exactly wanting to go like socialize too much with mm-hmm. the family and stuff. You kind of you you watch what you say, you watch what you what you do. You don't go reaching into a fridge and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think I think I've learned to to be alone a little bit, but I, I also think that um, the bubble isn't as lonely as people make it out to be. Your, your teammates are around, everyone, everyone's kind of there, um, and everyone's in the same situation as you. So if you, if you sit there and say, oh, I'm lonely, then you're, that's what it's going to be, you know what I mean? You can, you can make it not that, and I think that that's the, the better way to approach it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today, Theo. Good luck in the tournament. Looking forward to seeing you in the pitch on Wednesday. And yeah, all the best. Thank you. Talk to you soon. That's great. That's Take care. Bye. See ya. Some great stuff from Theo there and some, some very powerful stuff as well at the end when he, he's talking about his own experiences with, with racism in Canada and, and growing up. And as I said in the interview, it, this whole situation has been such a, an eye-opener for me. And it's something that Theo Bear has talked about 
himself on his social media pages. There was a, a feature as well on MLSsoccer.com where he said, we must educate one another and fight for equality. But also, as we talked about there, this show of strength, this show of unity, I mean, it's great, it's powerful, it's emotional, but unless there's real change in the sport, in society, then these protests have to continue. And hopefully change is coming. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. I mean, did, did you watch the the opening game, Inter against Orlando? And, and like, what did, what did you make of the, the players' show of unity before the game? Yeah, I got, I got to uh, to catch it. Um, I didn't I didn't know what the what they were going to do. I don't I don't know if it was kind of out there what was going to happen, but I think it was a, a pretty meaningful and a pretty pretty powerful statement. You know, with the the players, uh, all the the black players from the entire league surrounding the pitch. You know, grouped together in their teams, and then it's like one at a time, right? One at a time. They raised their they raised their fists and. I thought it was I thought it was like really encouraging and when you when you go and then you you know you follow someone like for example like Kai Kamara right like I try and follow his stuff because he's interesting and 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 humorous and but he uh uh you, talk, you hear him talk about it like on his social media and stuff and talk about how yeah like change is going to come and it feels like with this whole uh, whole movement in, uh, in the United States and around the world, like it feels like um, like things are going to change. And I know in one sense, it's hard not to see or view MLS's um, part in this as, you know, just about business and, and then therefore to view it cynically. But um, they are, you know, with the T-shirts and everything that you see at every, you know, every team wearing and uh, it, it – it, it feels like they are being really supportive of, of you know, yeah. this societal. They, they seem to have really embraced it. Yeah. And and again, I, I know there will be people, and, and I'm usually one of them, who would look at it cynically and just say that this is about them wanting to be on the right side of, of making money. And there's, there is probably an element of that to it. But I think more so than, than, more so than usual, I do get the sense of they, there's a genuineness to, to what they're doing and there's a seriousness to what they're they're doing and they're, um, yeah, it, it was just pretty powerful to see all, yeah. all those men around the pitch uh, one at a time raise their hand. And they, I mean, yeah, they all have stories of, of how, you know, what life has been like to, to live as a black person in uh, North America, Canada, or the U.S. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, the stories you hear and the things you see and, I mean, I, I can't, I can't relate, right? Like I can't comprehend. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you listen to people tell their stories, you you begin to understand a little bit better and hopefully you can connect and empathize and and help things change. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And you want to be on the right side of history in this. And it's just, it's really good to see MLS being, being like that just now. I mean, there's no easy way to transition from that back to the soccer chat, but that's what we're going to do. I mean, this does feel like a great opportunity for for Theo Zach just to seize the moment. You've got so many of the attack out, and I mean, this just seems like a, an ideal platform just to show what he can be to the Whitecaps. Yeah, I mean, his breakthrough here a couple of years ago, he he showed his talent, he showed his ability, and I can't remember if it was last. Yeah, I think it was last year. Yeah. Uh, the goal, the goal away to Portland. You know, he, he's got he's got some quality. He's got some skill, and he he can contribute. 
And I think one of the things you saw was just the the kind of the run he had in the team, how that helped him. Uh, and so I think this is going to be an opportunity where I think he's going to get a run in this tournament in the team. And I think he's going to be able to contribute. And I also could say, I mean, I personally would like, probably like to see him more up front, like directly up front as like the center forward. Yeah. But we also know that he, he can contribute from wide as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Whitecaps' first game, as we talked about, is this Wednesday. That's it, though, for from Zach on tonight's show. Just before you go, Zach, though, let everyone know where they can find you online. Yeah, uh, on Twitter, it's at ZacharyAM. That's great. Thanks, as always, for joining us, Zach. We'll be back with the final part of tonight's show where there's more MLS chat and part three of our episodic drama, Wanted for Wembley. And we'll be back with that after this. Hello, it's Kai Kumar, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. That was Coffee and TV by English band Blur, taken from the album 13, released in 1999. That was also the final song in tonight's Three of a Kind section. Three songs linked in some way. We kicked off part three with Penny Royal Tea by Nirvana, Kicked off part four with Hot Chocolate Boy by Beat Happening. And kicking off part five, Coffee and TV by Blur. Did you work out what the link was? Yes, the link tonight is Hot Beverages. Tying in nicely with our Chocolate Digestive section, which we're not bringing you tonight, but we thought it's there in spirit with tonight's three of a kind. Still got some time though for some more MLS's back tournament chat. So as we talked about in part one, the MLS's back tournament got underway on Wednesday night with a, a very emotional match. First Florida Derby between Orlando City and Inter Miami. And as you would expect from any Derby match really, whether there's fans there or not, there was a lot of drama on the pitch. You had Inter Miami taking the lead then losing a player in what looked to be very worrying circumstances when Dom Dwyer elbowed Inter's Reyes in the throw and he had to be taken to hospital, thankfully released and always good now for him, apart from a little bit of quarantine after leaving the bubble. It was worrying at the time though, I really did not like how ESPN covered it, I thought they were very intrusive 
after the injury happened, you could clearly see that he was in a, a lot of distress and they zoomed right in on him. And then when he was put onto the stretcher, they zoomed in on him there. And also have to say, the length of time that the stretcher bearers took to get on that pitch was absolutely ridiculous. Players were calling for him. He was in a lot of distress and they were just going on the pitch as if nothing had happened and they did not have a care in the world. So hopefully... That is part of the protocol that can be bettered as this tournament goes on. Although hopefully we don't see any other scary incidents like that. Orlando City tied the game up and with the match looking like it was heading for a draw, in the dying seconds, up popped a match winner. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. Nanny put the ball home. 2-1 victory for Orlando City. Wild celebrations from the purple side of Florida. It was an exciting match to, to start the tournament off. First half wasn't any great shakes, but I really enjoyed the second half. And after the match, I got a chance to, to ask a question to Nanny. And I mean, for a guy that's played in some, some big derbies in Portugal and England and Turkey and Spain, Italy as well, it must have been a, a very weird feeling playing in a big derby game with no fans in attendance. So that's why I asked Nanny after the match. Here's what he told me. You've played in a, a lot of big derbies over the years in front of loud and passionate crowds. What did that feel like for you as a player to, to play in a big derby game but not having any fans there? Scoring the goal, it certainly seemed to, to mean a lot to you. Yeah, scoring a goal means always a lot to a player. Uh, I think any player likes to score a goal to help the team. But obviously it was not the most important. The most important is what we want to achieve as a group. And... Um, Thanks God, uh, today I scored a goal. I hope next game any of my teams can do the same because we have a plan, we want to achieve something. We have a goal, but in long term, and uh, this is a great beginning. And yes, it's always um, fantastic to play a derby. Uh, it's true, we don't, was not a fans there, the, the stadium uh, is, is empty, but for the ones who love the football, uh, you don't pay attention to the fans. Obviously, when they are on the f on, on on the stadium, you can feel you can feel the excitement, you can feel the noise. But today we make the noise, and I think both teams did did great for the first game, and I hope to continue like that to to make this competition uh, beautiful. As Nanny said there, I mean, you could see on his face just what that goal meant. He really, really enjoyed that one. I, I'm sure I've just a big release after everything that's been happening over the, the last four months. And of course, this was two teams that headed into this match winless for the season so far from the two games that had been played. Just happy to get out of the bubble and onto the pitch. But I mean, bubble life is not only uh, a name probably of a bubble tea place somewhere in Vancouver, it's also one of the big talking points for, from the tournament so far. Earlier in the show, you heard me ask Mark DeSantis and, and Greg Vanny and Theo Bear just what life was like for them in the bubble. I wasn't done there. I also asked the same thing to Sporting Kansas City's head coach, Peter Vermees. And he also kind of just touched on the, the whole loneliness of the bubble and just whether Kansas City had made their floor a, a little home away from home like the Whitecaps had. So let's hear now from Sporting KC head coach and general manager, Peter Vermees. 
What's a normal day like for you just now in the bubble from, from when you get up to when you go to bed? What, what's it kind of like for you? For me personally? Yeah. Uh, get up at 4.45, usually go swimming in the pool. Nobody's around. It's great. Um, come back, usually do some type of lift workout, and then we have breakfast. We take the early time slot training, uh, which is 8 o'clock. We get on the bus around 7. Um, players are already eating breakfast between six and seven thirty. So is staff, um, get out to, to the training at seven twenty. set up the field and then, um, yeah, start practice. Usually practice is somewhere between an hour, an hour and a half long load up, come back. We got a small little snack, uh, usually lunch at 12, 1230, one o'clock. Um, depending on the day, if we have a weight session, then the team's got a weight session in the afternoon. Uh, I usually have a meeting with the staff a little bit later in the day. Um, we've actually went out to a couple of restaurants the last couple of nights, um, which broke up the, you know, there's a little monotony every day going into a ballroom and getting, you know, a buffet. So going into the restaurants has been good. Almost feels a little normal if you will uh not like you're in a bubble and then um yeah you know whether i'm looking at some video or just kind of finalizing the the game uh prep uh powerpoint and that's really about it and then it's let's go again the next day <laughs> you know I, I think everybody including the staff i think all of us what happens is is that you're kind of in the hotel and spend a lot of time in your room and you know, each guy has his own room and everybody's kind of in there most of the day other than when you go out for uh, practice or if you go out for a meal or if you go out for a weight session. Um, but you know, right after that, you're right back in your room basically. And so it seems like when you're either in the weight room or the, or the field, it's kind of your release. It's where you feel normal again. Um, and so I think everybody likes going out at that time, which I'm not sure if all the guys really enjoy we're back in Kansas City going to practice all day long. But, you know, over here, it's actually pretty welcome. I was on a call with the, the Whitecaps a couple of days ago, and they mentioned that they've turned their floor into a little bit of Canada, a little bit of, of British Columbia with flags and stuff. Have, have you guys done anything to remind you a little bit of home and your floor? Yeah, no. We don't have any barbecue sauce out or <laughs> – yeah, no, we don't. We, we, I think – I think again, I, I, and I, I guess I'll say this from a serious point of view. I think the guys have done a good job of, of trying to keep themselves, um, you know, as much as they can, um, separate of each other, you know, just kind of getting ready for the games. And, and like I said, I mean, you got to understand like the, 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 the environment isn't one of, um, you know, congregating. It just isn't, it's, it's more of just, Hey, do your thing, get back to your room, do your thing, get back to your room type of thing. And, and, and that's really what the cycle of the day is. And, uh, you know, I, I know, I know there could be a lot of other things that are more difficult to do. It's just, it's, it's, it, it, it can be at times. I mean, I, I'm easy to say it can be at times a little lonely. Um, and I'm, it'll be interesting to see when we're, you know, three, three weeks 
into this, four weeks into this. We'll see how that goes. So Peter Vermees there talking about bubble life from a sporting Kansas City point of view. So we've looked at what's happening with the Whitecaps. We've looked at some of the big stories that's come out of the tournament in the first week. There's one group that's not going to get underway though until Monday. And for me, it's the most exciting group in the whole competition. Group F, four Western Conference teams. You have LAFC, LA Galaxy, Portland Timbers and Houston Dynamo battling it out in that one. So that should be a fantastic group. There should be six really good games in that, I think. Every single team is going to fancy their chances of advancing in this. You've got the strength of LAFC. You've got LA Galaxy, who got off to a pretty bad start to the season, losing to the Whitecaps in their second game as part of that. But they seem fired up for it, even though their midfield is a little bit depleted. Houston should be quite used to these kind of conditions that we're seeing in Orlando as well. And Portland Timbers, always good in a a playoff stroke cup competition format. Definitely a team to watch. They've got some key players ready to to go and and make a name for themselves in this tournament, you feel? So that's the group I think is the most exciting of them all. A lot has been made of this MLS is back tournament that it's, it's akin to the World Cup. That's how they're wanting to market it. That's the tagline they're really wanting to give it to to get people excited about it. And yeah, the, the format of it is very much like a, a World Cup where you've, you've got group winners, group runners up, and some third place teams going on to the knockout rounds. But of course, it's very different from a, a World Cup because you don't have the freedom to go and explore your surroundings. You're basically stuck in a bubble, you're stuck in a hotel, you're going to training, you're going to play the matches, you're back at the hotel. But if you want to keep the World Cup analogies going, everyone loves to talk during World Cups of the group of death. And I think there's no doubt that in this MLS tournament, Group F is the group of death. And if you're looking at the four teams in it, you have to probably say that the underdogs of the four are probably going to be Houston Dynamo. But leading Houston, you've got a head coach in Tab Ramos, who has played at a World Cup as a player. He's been at a World Cup at youth level as a manager. He's used to tournaments like this. He's been away for a a long time with his family and his experience and what he can bring to his young group of players I think is going to be crucial in this. So I got got a chance to, to chat a little bit with Tab on a conference call that they had on Saturday just to ask him about the World Cup feel to this and, and what he can bring to his squad. So here's what Tab Ramos had to say. People are they're talking about this tournament. They're saying it's like a World Cup style tournament. So using that analogy, I guess you guys are, are in the group of death. It's like one of the hardest groups that there is in this opening round of matches. How is a team going to be able to jump into such tough competitive games right away with not having played for, for four months? We've seen it so far. It's been a little bit patchy at times. Do you feel your guys can just flick that switch and get ready to go right away? We're going to do the best we can to do that. I mean, obviously, we're, we're preparing as much as we can uh, to do that, and I'm sure the other teams have as well. 
Uh, of course, you can see in some of the matches that the timing is off a little bit on, on for everyone, but I think that's normal and, and to be expected to a certain extent. Obviously, we hope that on Monday the game goes perfect for us. That's that's what we work towards, but but I know it's been a long time since we played. You know, and in terms of being in the group of death, I think I think this is a good scenario for us. I think that's this is this is just what we need. We need to get te- tested. For me as a new coach, it's important for me to see you know what what the best teams are doing and how they play and and where we are and and how far we need to go if if it's that far at all. Uh, so I'm 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 excited to be in this group and to be playing great teams. Tab, you've been away at tournaments before as both a player, as a coach. I know this is very different in that you can't go outside and do normal things like if you were away at the World Cup or whatever. But mentally, how are you using your previously ex- your previous experiences to kind of help the players get through this? Because it's going to be tough for them. It is difficult, and this is different than anything else I've lived before. Um, the only thing that's sort of the same is the format of the tournament. And I do realize how important for a team like us it will be to start uh, the tournament, you know, on, on the right foot and playing well and, and starting to develop more and more confidence. Um, you know, I've, I think we've given the player a lot of the players a lot of confidence. I think, I think we're going to be ready to go, and I think it's important for us to start even though we are playing likely the best team in the league, I think it's important for us to, to start strong. So Houston Dynamo head coach Tab Ramos there, just chatting uh, about this tournament, the difficult task ahead of the Dynamo, and, and just what he can share with his team from his own experiences of tournaments like this. But that is going to be all the MLS is back chat for now. Hopefully we can get this podcast out before there's too much more breaking news like last week, which was an absolute nightmare to to put this together. That's why we're bringing this out earlier this week. Just so it's all done and dusted and then I can't spend a whole day just adding little bits to it and re-recording stuff. But I know that the games so far maybe haven't been the most thrilling at times, but I mean there's been some great goals... I've enjoyed it. It's nice to have football back on our screens. As I mentioned earlier, I'm really enjoying the the access as media that we're getting to to all the teams. You can jump on all these calls. You can speak to coaches and and players around the league, which you don't really get a chance to to do as much during the regular season. Hope you've enjoyed this episode as well with little bits of snippets from different teams here and there. Give us some feedback on that at AFT in Canada on Twitter or drop me an email aftncanada at hotmail.com let me know if you'd like to see some more of that just covering general stuff in the league during this tournament or if you'd prefer it to be more focused on the Whitecaps or or even just the Canadian teams really curious to, to get your thoughts on that but that is nearly it for this week's show but there is still time to bring you the third instalment of our drama serial Taken from the pages of the 1958 Roy of the Rovers annual, here's part three of Wanted for Wembley. Milton Rangers had reached the FA Cup final. The excitement was high, as were the expectations that Rangers would bring the cup home from Wembley. But it looked like disaster was waiting to happen. Young kit man and apprentice footballer Robbie Rennick had accidentally taken home star striker Jack Rush's favourite pair of old football boots. The boots were old and worn, 
and Robbie had thought they were set to get thrown out. Packing a new pair of Jack Rush's boots to take to Wembley, Robbie took the old boots home with him. It was only as Milton Rangers were getting ready for the game that Jack Rush noticed that his favourite pair of boots was missing, and his form in the early part of the game was severely lacking as a result. Robbie Rennick had realised his mistake after listening to an interview with Jack Rush where he talked about his famous old pair of boots, his lucky charm. A mad dash to Wembley ensued as Robbie tried to get their boots to Jack, but was it too late? Milton were already trailing 1-0 and Jack was having a bit of a nightmare of a game. He'd got his friend to drive him to Wembley and he was outside now with the boots, but nobody would believe his story and let him in. Can he get the boots to Jack? Can Milton turn around the deficit? Find out more in part three of Wanted for Wembley by Harry Clements. Robbie groaned. It began to look as if he wouldn't succeed in delivering the boots to Jack Rush after all. Suddenly Robbie had a new idea. Where's the first aid post? he asked. Depends which one you want, questioned the policeman. There's one just up there. He pointed to a temporary canvas-walled enclosure a short distance away. Leaving the policeman still chuckling, Robbie ran towards it. He saw two men in volunteer ambulance uniform. Is Dick Rennick here? he panted. I'm his brother. I want him urgently. Rennick? No. He isn't on this post, said one, and turned inquiringly to his companion. I know where he is, said the other man, putting his hand on Robbie's shoulder and pointing. See that ambulance down there? You'll find him in there. Robbie sprinted for the ambulance, just as his brother came out from inside. Dick gasped in amazement. Robbie, how did you get here? I thought you were watching the match on TV with Harry Harper, Dick exclaimed. Breathlessly, Robbie explained what had happened. So you see, he concluded, I've simply got to get into the Rangers dressing room. You'll have to help me. What's the point of coming to me? I've got no influence, protested Dick. If I knew any dodges, I'd be in there myself. At that moment, Robbie heard a key click in a lock, and a door in the stadium wall opened as an attendant unfastened it from the inside. Two stretcher bearers came out, carrying a luckless fan who had been overcome by the excitement of the match. Robbie caught his breath eagerly. I've got it! That's the answer! You could carry me in on a stretcher, hidden under a blanket! he exclaimed. Dick looked at his fellow ambulance man with a questioning grin. Could we risk it? he asked. I suppose it'd be a rumpus if we were caught at it, but... It's worth a try, agreed the other. It's no good your brother trying to get in through the official channels. By the time we find somebody who'll believe his story, the match will be over. Robbie had glanced into the ambulance and spotted a large, empty first aid box. Can I borrow this too? I've got a hunch it may come in useful he urged. There'll be trouble if anyone finds out. But okay, go ahead. May as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb, agreed his brother, hauling a stretcher from the ambulance. Robbie dropped down and stretched out on it. They threw a blanket over him, covering him completely, and put the box at his feet. Then Robbie waited under the blanket, tense with excitement. After a brief pause, he heard his brother bang on the door and call out, Ambulance, men! The door was unlocked and Robbie felt himself being carried through. After a short distance, the stretcher was put down and Dick whipped the blanket back. All right, there's no one looking. Get going and the best of luck, he hissed. Robbie grabbed the box 
raised it to his shoulder and went down a passageway that was like a man-made canyon. A great rear wall of the terracing towered above him. The roar of the crowd suddenly increased tremendously and Robbie knew that something important must have happened, but he could see nothing. He opened a door and nearly stumbled over two stadium attendants who squatted beside a packing case on which there was a portable radio. They were listening to the broadcast of the match that they could not see, even though they were inside the stadium. Robbie gave him no chance to ask what he was doing, but got in first. Speaking from behind the box, balance on his shoulder. How's the match going? What happened just now? he asked. Hardwick scored again. I reckon the Rangers have had it, said one of the men. Jack Rush has been chucking away chances right and left. He's playing like a nervous novice. Robbie paused as if to catch a few minutes of the broadcast, then turned away. Ah, I mustn't stop here. I've got to get this box to the Rangers dressing room, he said with pretended reluctance. One of the men obligingly walked ahead of him and pushed open a swing door. Down that corridor and to the left, he said. The sound from the terraces overhead came through as a muffled roar. Then faintly, Robbie heard the referee's whistle. It was half-time. Robbie reached the Rangers' dressing room just as the players clattered in, panting and dejected, the sweat trickling down their faces. Jack Rush threw himself down wearily and kicked his legs out. Oh, my legs are killing me. I'd like to know who packed these new boots of mine and where are my old ones. I'd give anything to have them just now. No chance of that, Jack. You'll have to stick it out. Put in Walter Jarvis, the manager. Hardwick may not be able to keep up the pace in the second half. If they crack, we may still... He broke off, spotting Robbie. Hey, how did you get in here? And what are you looking so pleased about, he rapped. I don't see anything to laugh at at the fix that we're in. Sorry, Mr Jarvis, but I've brought Jack's boots, Robbie announced proudly, opening his first aid box and holding them up. You've done what? Jack Rush exclaimed. Brought my boots? You mean... Jack stared blankly at first as if he didn't understand. Then, as he recognised the battered old boots, he uttered a joyful yell and grabbed them. My boots? Yes! That lad's a lifesaver, he cried. Gosh, if only we had had them an hour ago. I did my best to get here in time, answered Robbie. It's lucky I'm here at all. I tried. Say no more, lad, Jack broke in. It doesn't matter how you got here, so long as I've got my old boots. Jack Rush was transformed. His dejection had vanished. He ripped off the uncomfortable new boots and sprawled back, relaxing, while the trainer vigorously massaged his aching feet. Robbie brought him a glass of fruit juice so he could rinse out his mouth and gargle his dry throat. A complete change of kit had been laid out. The players stripped off their sweat-soaked shirts, toweled down and changed into clean gear. Jack Rush pulled on his old boots and stamped up and down. It feels as if I'm walking on air, he grinned. This is going to make all the difference. A buzzer rasped noisily. It was the signal from the referee that it was time for the second half. The Rangers skipper moved towards the door. OK, lads, we're two down. You know what to do. Come on. Good luck, lads, Walter Jarvis muttered as the team filed out. Then he turned to Robbie. You'd better come with me, lad. You can sit on the touchline bench with the trainer and me. Can Milton Rangers turn around a two-goal deficit in the second half? Will Jack Rush find his form with his old pair of boots? 
Will Robbie Rennick be a hero or a villain? Find out next week in the final part of our thriller, Wanted for Wembley, by Harry Clements. So things certainly look like they're shaping up better for Milton Rovers. Still tough to overcome a two-goal deficit in a cup final with just 45 minutes to go. Can they do it? Find out next week on the AFTN Soccer Show. But that is it for this week's episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks, as always, to Zach for joining me on the show. You can give him a follow on Twitter at ZacharyAM. Give our other usual co-host, Steve Pander, a follow on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. And of course, give me a follow on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Also check out all our stuff on AFTN.ca. Haven't had a a lot of time to do written stuff at the the last couple of weeks just from doing these shows and and doing the East Fife podcast as well. Of which, if you've any interest in that, check that out on glorydaysofgold.podbean.com. The latest episode has an interview with a guy that's actually had two stints playing his football over in North America. Played for East Fife as well. Tam McManus. Had a brief spell with Colorado Rapids and MLS in 2008 and 2009 before a stint in the USL with Rochester Rhinos. So if you've any interest in Scottish football or just kind of want to hear what he made of MLS back in the day, certainly check that episode out. Also give us a follow on Instagram at AFTN Soccer and check out our YouTube channel at AFTN Canada. I'm going to be putting up a couple of videos on that hopefully this week. Some of the, the video footage from my chat with Mark DeSantos. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. And more the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.